Who are you people? Shaw. Danny? Danny, I want you to come with me right now, okay? Show me your room. Carefully. Do you expect me to talk? of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm back at always joined by my fellow co-host Chris and Dave and special guest Charlie of Movie Drone. How are you all? Good evening, folks. Hello. I'm feeling happy. How happy? <laughs> I don't happy? know. <laughs> this is good padding if the episode's not very long. It just it's rough to the way through that. I wanted to get to the this bit. There you go. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I did always feel this like Terminator 2 Judgment Day did like miss um, like an element of Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of hitting a, a jukebox to get it to working again. Absolutely. <laughs> he could have done that in the biker bar, couldn't he? Yeah, he, he could have done like, it, but no, he didn't. That came from a silly joke the other day because we were arguing is the wrong word. We were talking to somebody online about the different cuts of this film, which we'll get into in a minute because they were fairly sure a scene is in the director's cut that I don't think is. I think it's a deleted scene. And in the nicest possible way, because they were incredibly polite, um, they they were they wouldn't have it to be. They were like, no, no, it's definitely in there. It's like, well, fair enough. And then and then we were arguing about what is in the director's cut, and it got into a silly fight of Flancy about the film finishing on the Happy Days theme. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's about. To be fair, that would most suit Terminator Three when all the bombs are going off. They really could have the Happy Days theme playing then. Well, there you go. We could just do alternate endings of movies that just end on like a really sad note, but actually end on the Happy Days theme tune. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream, something like that. Yes, the um, the eighties Raymond Briggs apocalyptic movie about nuclear war, that can end on the Happy Days theme. Or the Snowman, he comes out and sees it melted. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we were arguing about different cuts of this film. We will go through it. For my for my part, I actually watched the director's cut because it's what I had. Um, Ten hours later, here you so are. So I am trying not. I'll, I have to remember what's not in the actual film before I claimed it happened. As with I think all director's cuts from James Cameron, adding stuff back in adds really interesting stuff and a little bit of sort of weight to some things. But it then gets baggy and you don't have a perfect cut of the film. Um, so, for example, in the main theatrical cut of the film, there's a dream sequence where Sarah goes out and sees the end of the world. She's watching a younger version of, of herself with a toddler, John Connor. 
and the when the bombs go off. Uh, well, in the director's cut, you, you effectively see two of those scenes because she follows Kyle Reese out the door and sees it earlier in the film. So it's a bit it's a little bit like Aliens that way. I do feel I saw a very imperfect cut of the film, but I did see some interesting scenes that I, sometimes I, some of them I kind of wish were there. Having said that, one of my favorites isn't even the director's cut. It's in a deleted scene, but we'll get to that. I, th- I think The Abyss is the only one of those films where the, the director's cut is the superior cut. I've actually only seen the theatrical cut of that, and I only saw it a couple of years ago. I was really late getting to The Abyss. I enjoyed it, though. Um, the legendary film. Yeah, I just know well, with Aliens, it you know it adds a little bit of weight around her daughter. I think that Gatling gun oh, is only in the director's cut and, and all the rest of it. But what you're left with is something that's just too long. Yeah, it drags. Yeah, it drags, and... Um, it's the same with this film. The director's cut I saw was like two hours 33, which in itself is a meaningless figure um, in that films have been that long and been fine, but it's too, it's too long for this film, particularly when you think how long The Terminator is. And um, I think that's going to speak to some of my flaws with the film as we go through it anyway. Um, so thinking about it, Char- I'm am I the only one who saw this on first release theatrically? I saw it theatrically as well. Oh, you'd have been way too young. <laughs> I saw it theatrically uh, yeah. when it was released a few oh, months yeah, ago. I was, we released. I was underage when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so was I, but only by about two months. I um, I was sat at home on a Saturday morning with the TV on, and it went to like commercials. Um, and they had the TV spot where the T one thousand sort of headbutts his way into the helicopter, pours mm. in, and reforms. And I literally was at the next screening because we'd never seen anything like that. I was I literally just immediately, I, I imagine back then, picked up like a newspaper or something and went, right, there's a screening in like an hour and a half or whatever. And I was at that. Yeah, I was at it. Um, and then I went to see a friend in like in the Isle of Man um, and he hadn't seen it. So I did see it twice theatrically on first release. But yeah, I was two months too young, Chris. Not as bad as you, not as bad as you were back. <laughs> was that um was that your first Terminator experience or do you have seen the first one before that? Yeah, I'd seen the first one on in a what we've I think divined last week was an edited version on Movie Drone. Yeah. Movie um I think we established that was June nineteen ninety. But I, I have a feeling I got myself I either got myself a copy of it or I recorded it. I can't remember which. I probably recorded it because it was a well known film. Uh so I'd seen the Terminator three or at least three or four times before I went to see this. Um it was uh, the big reveal about uh the T eight hundred being uh the the good guy in this quote unquote because that's a bit of a philosophical statement in itself. Um I that was that was well rumoured around the place. I think that was kind of known before people went in, so it wasn't the biggest of big shocks. And it, it did, even at that age, slightly concern me because it seemed even then like pandering to a star. And Arnie was fucking massive at that time. And I mean in star, not my star, not muscles. Um, because Total Recall had been the previous year, Running Man a year or two before that. Total Recall, I think at the time, may have been the most expensive film ever made, which was beaten by this. Um, and uh, so it did I, It did concern me what we were going to get. But I mean, I was young enough as well that when I saw that little TV spot, I was like, I've not seen anything like this before. I was still at an age I could be wowed by an effect. 
Yeah, so, so there's also probably like a little bit of element of because of Arnold's star quality that would have been wise to put him as a villain. I mean, it probably still would have worked, but again, you needed a bit of, a bit of game-changing element to it. Plus, mm. also, you know, selling Arnie as a hero sells a bit better probably then than it did back with the original. Um, yeah, and no, I've got I've I've not heard anything that says he demanded that. Mm. So I don't know, but it's the sort of thing somebody in his position might demand. This yeah. time, I, I ought to be the hero. Um, and that, that's all I really knew about it. The film was enormous on release. It might have been the highest grossing film of that year. If not, it was very close. I think it took about five. What did it take? I can look at it now. 524 million. Um, actually, I knew that figure. So that has stuck in my head. I, glanced to see what it was and it was exactly what I thought it would be. I think that was um, I think it was one of the highest grossing films of that year. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised. Uh, it, it was yeah. everywhere as well, and it? it? was like, I, yeah, remember it was it, I, remember, I remember it like being one of the first, like, I always call it event yeah. films, where yeah. like... You know, yeah, you, I agree. You put on Steve Bright in the afternoon and he was interviewing Linda Hamilton and stuff like that. that mm-hmm. it, it, the stars of this film were everywhere. Um, there was a lot of hype around it, and again, like we say, not not for the last time. Cameron was doing things visually that hadn't been done before. Or and had, even had, now, if there's a new Terminator film out, you know, regardless of the critical reception, it's still a very much an event movie, isn't it? I think. Yes, but yeah, well, obviously now to a lesser extent. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at its opening weekend was 52 million, which is absolutely enormous for Epic. 91. I would struggle to believe the new one's going to beat that. 20, yeah, 28 even years though it's like on, official sequel, but no. I, think, I think it will come in around the same actually. So we'll just have to see. But um, it was it was the most expensive film of all time. I think it may have been the first film to to be over a hundred million budget, but the budget actually figure you get varies slightly. Um, I think we got it about a month later than the United States. I think a bit like Batman, we got it in August. Um, and that's all I really want to say about my memories of the time. Do you remember enjoying it when you saw it the first time, Charlie? Yeah, I loved it. <clears throat> um, like you said, I, I just, I'd seen Terminator not that long before mm. and um, we were really excited when we found out that, um, that it was going to be a 15, um, which to, uh, with the original film being an 18, yeah, um, just, yeah it meant there, there was a chance we could see it in the cinema. Um, and yeah, I'm, I remember seeing pictures of Arnie with Edward Furlong and Sarah Hamilton in a magazine um, a few months before. So I remember it kind of, yeah, it, it didn't seem to really keep it secret that he was the, uh, he was the hero character. Um, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved it. And um, yeah, it, it was not maybe until I grew up a bit older and, uh, visited the original film a bit more and uh, I can kind of start to form a, uh, a, a more realistic opinion of it. I think it's still largely considered, we won't go into opening thoughts yet, but I think it's still largely considered by probably a majority the best of the series. And I've just, I've just never agreed, but it, it has some strong positives to it i think any time a bit like aliens anytime you put a sequel out that's subtly in a different genre you're doing something fairly brave in itself um and i think it's probably 
I'd say this if you weren't here, Charlie, but with you here, you may want to comment on it as well. But I think never is it better represented than in its score. I think the, mm. the, the score is 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 a blockbuster film's version of the first film's score. Yes. Um, and actually probably all the better for it. It, it suits this. And I, I really actually love the opening music, the way it's, you know, orchestrated for this film. And um, you get pale copies in the weeks to come that aren't as good. So it, it's really, there are some enormously strong positives to this film, which we'll, which we'll come to. But yeah, I, it, there's no doubt I prefer the first one. What about you two? Did you, do you, uh, how old were you when you saw it? Do you remember? Oh God, let's think. Um, well, it came out in 91, didn't it? So but I think I would have seen sort of posts of it when I was like maybe like uh, nine, probably. Mm. Um, so obviously I hadn't seen it, but I'll probably be like sort of nine or maybe or maybe ten. No, it'd be nine. And I, I remember like sort of, you know, obviously everyone's seen it. it was the hot hot movie, um, and I must have seen it like a year or so later on on video, playing um, basically at like you know at, at one of these sort of like parties where like you know your parents all get together and they shoved all the kids in one room, so we all just like and they happen to like have a copy of. Terminator 2 so that's my first feeling watching it there um, and yeah it's like it was an instant classic you know especially when you're growing up like you know, like, like Charlie like you said you initially love it but as you grow up a little bit and you start to you know watch the first one more often you actually sort of find out actually I much prefer the first one and um, and when I come, came to watching this more recently um, I was actually surprised just how much it this does not quite hold up for me. Not that it's awful, but I think especially like director's cut, just how much this film drags, and it it almost like surprised me. I, like you know, it's um, I understand like as Dave said that the, uh, the like it's pretty much fifty fifty, if not the slight majority would be towards this being the better film, but. Yeah, I I just don't see it now, um, uh, but but then uh, there are lots of things to like that like about it, which I'm sure we'll get into. Becky, you saw them both recently, didn't you? In the same evening, you saw a double bill. Yeah, they reissued the first one and the second one, kind of back to back. Um, although not with um, I don't know why. But I've seen a couple of these reissues at the cinema. I would love for them to do like with um, cheesy adverts of the era. So like I went to a, reiss- a re- reissuing of the well, Goonies. Hot dogs, that sort yeah, of Yeah, literally. I thought there might be an, agate, um, an advert for brains faggots or something like that in the you know in the middle or something <laughs> along those lines. Really local ones as well. It used to advertise a curry house that was like just around the corner, and it would literally say like a hundred yards from the entrance to this cinema yeah you see those on like the old pearl and dean adverts if you go to a view cinema other cinema chains are available um and you'll see like vintage curry house adverts from the 70s or 80s um i seem to remember going to the cinema with my dad in a local cinema in chippenham um and i think the ones they showed were genuine as far as i'm aware i'll I'll ask my dad see what he remembers but anyway it's now part of a national chain um so you kind of lost that family approach and no cheesy curry house adverts sadly um but yeah, I think I was seven or eight when this film came came out. So um, I sadly didn't see them on release. Um, saw them probably in, in my teens. Unfortunately, I was one of those people who did note past tense. Did think the second one was better? Um, You're allowed to think that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was, well, no, I, I, I still do love it. I think Robert Patrick the... is, is for me. He's just the, the standout of it 
think of you, you know, most unrelenting, killer, terrifying cyborg, you know, there is. And I think for me, you probably got how, and then, oh, terrifying Robert Patrick. Um, and then obviously when he appeared in um, in the X-Files as Doggett many years later, um, again, another gripping performance there. Um, well, can't really go wrong by casting him. I've never watched a whole episode of the X-Files. Ooh! I'll say check out um, Tony Black's X-Files, the X-Cast, X-Files podcast. I um, highly recommend that. Such I follow his website because we're like friends and stuff. So I've, I've stuck a number on his follow account, but <laughs> I've never seen an episode. Well, give it a go, Dave. The truth is out there. Um, right, I'm just going to go and cringe now. But no, yeah, I saw them on both um, Terminator 1 and 2, colon, Judgment Day, upon release, um, recently re-released. Um, but anyway, utterly fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of came out of thinking, oh, okay, so I sort of re- re-evaluated my original opinions. But yeah, I do prefer the first one. Um, but I love like all the, um, obviously to a certain extent, it's a little bit ropey, but the graphics largely stand up. Um, and Cameron's going to be one of those directors. He's, he's always kind of looking to tweak, and as technology improves, he'll he'll go back and you know, I'm pretty sure he'll reboot um, Avatar in years to come. Um, well, he's but got yeah, a yeah. Sequel, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll be doing. I mean, he's doing four or something. He's, he's yeah, doing four or five. Yeah, four or five. I think he's got them all planned out. The first film. Definitely. But no, yeah, I've been Donald Fagan of filmmakers. Still be there. There's a fucking obscure reference. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's, one, it's really two sort of classic films. Um, it's really one of those things where, um, you know, sort of pick an original film and a sequel. Um, opposed, you know, I guess compared to like sort of Bond or like Star Wars, for example, or Indiana Jones or kind of, you know, any of the series that we've done so far in this podcast. But if you think of any film series generally in history, that the first two films... They're just totally iconic. But I had a really good time seeing these, but yeah, I did come out of thinking, you know, Terminator 2 is not a terrible film, but just in terms of, of, you know, sort of visuals and and certainly plotting, that the first is is very much a stronger film. Um, But I say for the second film for me, it's all about Robert Patrick. I think he is probably the most, one of the terrifying cyborg figures. Um, I shall have a think and think about my other villainous robots are, maybe. Um, but no, he's certainly up there, and it's his performance. And I think, and it, it's the fact that it still echoes within popular culture. I mean, Simpsons referenced it many times, and even in sort of shows like uh, like Rick and Morty, for example, and even South Park has been going for for many years. Um, maybe deemed irrelevant, but you, you know, you see it in um, other sort, you know, ki- um, kid shows, or animated shows that are aimed at a young audience, and they're still kind of riffing on this idea. So, just goes to show, really, and obviously Arnie. Still lingers in popular culture for sure, um, but it just goes to show like the strength of its movie villain still lasts until this day. This sorry, it's quite wrong, long and rambling there. Sorry. That's all right. This film does suffer from being in that little micro era we talked about. Do you remember when we talked about Rocky Five? And oh, we yeah. and we said it's like that kind of time zone, isn't it? Time it era. could only have been made between like eighty nine and ninety one. Rocky Five, when you watch it, it just it just there are just so many things in it, right down to like. The sweaters they're wearing and stuff like that. It's very eighties, nineties film. Th- this film absolutely screams nineteen ninety ninety one, and uh, it's funny because it's set in nineteen ninety five, and it just doesn't work at all <laughs> for that. Bit. Because he's meant to be ten, which is just odd because that kid is not ten, and he's wearing like a Public Enemy t shirt with floppy hair and listening to Guns and Roses, and that had, that had, that had just died by like ninety two. <laughs> it just, it's kind of funny that I mean 
Yeah, because Nirvana me. happened and then that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was Nirvana it. killed Cockrock. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a few things in the film don't really make that much sense, but I don't think largely they I mean, in terms of the effects, they are just starting to creak. They're not too bad because they're only doing... Their ambition is to a certain level and they can meet that level. So it's not trying to go beyond what it can do. But there are little things like when the T-1000 assumes the form of his his foster mum, when she changes back from the foster mum to the T-1000, that is clearly like an absolutely still image of her. Mm. And little things like that are starting to show up now. But for 1991, this is extraordinary. And it's not that bad now. The thing is, though, I did watch some, something else in this debate of, of different um, cuts of the film. Somebody said to me that in the director's cut, he did some digital face replacement on Arnie's stunt double. And I didn't know that. So there were a couple of times where Arnie was doing a stunt, particularly on the bike early in the film, where I went, Christ, that looks like him. And I'm, I'm sure he didn't do that. But that could have been some digital face replacement. Apparently, the the, the stunt double looks a little bit more Jean Claude Van Damme. Somebody was telling me. Um, so I don't know. Uh, in terms of oh, my yeah, first... that's another f- uh, fun fact. Sorry, I'll have to amend that later on. <laughs> <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of like my first thoughts on the film, really, I, I mean, I was thinking the other day, and it it was funny in my head because I thought this is the best prologue I've seen to a film since, and it's what came into my mind after the since you thought i'd say something really like amazing didn't sex wizard no it was rocky three <laughs> <laughs> i thought that's the best prologue since rocky three <laughs> um and we'll go into that in a minute it certainly has a really cracking act act one with some issues um but they're relatively minor i really like the way the music's reorchestrated for this it, it just immediately tells you you're playing in a much much more epic sample than the first yes i, I love this the, uh, the music as well it's, um, it's got a really great soundtrack to it it really yeah i mean i i, I, I can't speak necessarily for the soundtrack as a whole but certainly the themes in it uh, stick in my mind mm. um i do have what some will see as a strengthening of the sarah Connor connor character i think as a almost a dumbing down i mean there's a bit where she's in mexico in the film sat watching kids play with guns i think it's that scene and she's got like shades on and a wife beater in military colors with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth she basically looks and, like axel rose basically. I can't think, I can't yeah of a bigger fucking cliche to design somebody um and i just think like it, it, i understand the character will have will, will change and be damaged but there's elements in this I don't like. It's underpinned by a really good performance. Robert Patrick's amazing, helped by the fact I think he had some kind of ankle injury, so he doesn't run quite symmetrically. Um, And I think that's actually, it gives him another worldliness I like. Um, I think the film misses the, it's a blockbuster, so it's to be expected, but there was a nihilism to the first film that is missing now. And I understand why, but, this this the inevitability of judgment day really made sense in the first film it doesn't make sense in future weeks and we'll talk about it 
because when they say, oh, you've merely postponed it, well, if you've postponed it, you've stopped it. There's nothing inevitable. If you if you can shift a time frame, you can stop something. That's, that's nuts. That doesn't make sense as an argument. But here, you know, it has to finish on that bit of hope. There's a deleted scene. Again, we'll argue about whether that was in a director's cut or not, but there was a deleted scene of an older Sarah that I'm glad they took out because that was sick-making. Just the whole thought of, like, we stopped it, yay! Um... I think Edward Furlong is almost film breaking. I really struggle with I was only half joking when I said they should have dubbed I was only half joking when I said they should have dubbed him with Isaac Hayes. Because <laughs> um that voice is really irritating and it's funny to watch him on special features and they've got him doing sit ups to prepare and I'm thinking he's gonna look like a lead weedy little twat, whatever you do. Well, <laughs> what's, boy. what's the point? Just, I think the problem is he doesn't have no James Cameron, were he here, could probably defend this very well because the kid has not had a good upbringing. And because he hasn't had a good upbringing, what I'm about to say kind of makes some kind of sense, I suppose. But whenever I watched Edward Furlong, I always thought, you're not a very nice kid. And it doesn't surprise me he didn't grow into a very nice adult, Uh, the the actual actor. um, Irritates the shit out of me in this film. Um, and overacts in a lot of sequences, particularly when he has to be emotional and stuff. But by and large, it's got a really, really good final act for the most part. It's got a really good opening act with some issues. I've got some characterization issues. It misses that nihilism of the first film. It's not as good as the first film. The, the, the thing is, it falls into that generation of films, like lots of others we've talked about before, that people who are film reviewers now, critics, uh, opinion formers and stuff, grew up on this stuff so a bit like i always say a gold night a first contact lots of films like that it's generally it's a term charlie doesn't like but i'm going to use it it's overrated on that basis and by overrated i simply mean it occupies a generally a general consensus in pop culture uh, in pop culture opinion that i think is actually fairly objectively wrong um that said, if you were to enjoy Terminator 2 more than the first one, because it isn't ni- as nihilistic, it's more beautifully shot, it's got nicer music, it's more digestible, I could understand all mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's still, a, it's still a very, very high-quality sequel. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the issue... I mean, I, I can kind of understand with the Edward, Edward Furlong thing and the, the John Connor. I mean, him as a character is kind of understandable. Like, I could see, like... An idea, but the problem is... I just, I, I type, he just plays like Bart Simpson. You know, he, because he's like, he, he just says like these proper really nice things that only Bart Simpson would ever say. Like, like hasta la vista, baby. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, like, you know, yeah, yeah, such a drag man. You know, th- these yeah, it's very kind 80s of things. and 90s catchphrases, aren't they? Yeah. And he's like, you know, when, when James Cameron has to like sort of forcibly in this sort of like kind of like, like, humanity sucks, huh? Like kind of thing, you know? It's like, it's like. Love you. No, oh, it's like yeah. Uh, there's such um, yeah. It, it's I think it's just the, the it's just such 1991. <laughs> the film know. was like so 1991. Yeah, well, well pretty much because you know I think once you get out of that decade, it just dates the film. Uh, you know, despite the special effects, but um, yeah. But as, as Dave says, like you know, the, you know, technology and and uh, as a big blockbuster, it. It, it works absolutely fine. I mean, I think Arnie's great in it. He's he's great as uh, taking the character of Terminator and, and make it and making him uh, a more heroic 
kind of uh, figure. Um, and I think that's probably where like the the heart of the film is because a lot I think the only real new idea that I think uh, Cameron brings in is the idea of like well is can artificial intelligence kind of be on par with uh, like a human as having some kind of a soul or conscience? You know, is you know is the idea of like of creating like something that actually thinks for itself comparable as like having like um, something like just like like a human would. Um, that's but that's about it. I think everything else kind of follows uh, the first film, relatively uh, speaking, but just a bit more longer and extended. I, I don't think any of us are going to say this is an unworthy sequel. I think you could say you could have a certain nostalgia for there only being one Terminator film out mm. there, but once you agree to sequelize, this is about as well as you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, it's definitely in terms of like the history of sequels go. Um, you, definitely, definitely, sure. Yeah, I mean, when when you look at it in relation to the first film, and it's kind of an awkward retcon anyway. Um, I mean, you look at well, even the message. Well, yeah, the the message, the no fate thing, is an obvious. So it's what my dad said. No, he didn't. No, no part of the film did he ever say that. Um, and. Um, the whole thing that where Reese has a very kind of they make perhaps he said it on the vinegar strokes. We didn't see those. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm trying to make a serious point. Sorry, um, no, no, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it was doing that. It was doing that cut between two different nipple shots. He quickly said it. I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. So and so Reese Reese made a massive point about them smashing it once he went through. So then this whole thing of they sent another one through and then the resistance sent another one through and it's like fair enough. You you need it's just something you've just got to get over. Um but uh, yeah I mean <clears throat> just the whole film just feels like it's it's almost like Cameron because Cameron's now got money he can do the things that he maybe wanted to do. It's like George Lucas in the prequels. Yeah, he can do the things he wanted to do. He maybe he perhaps had had his original ideas, but didn't have the budget to do. So now in the opening, um, future war prologue, um, which is still really good, and that moment where the um, where the Terminator's foot comes down and crushes the skull scared the hell out of everyone in the cinema. That was yeah. like a really memorable moment. Well, I, I jumped um, the first time, and then the second, <clears throat> but the, the second time, just quickly, I knew it was coming, so, and I was like with someone who hadn't seen it, and I tried to shit them up. I went to grab them <laughs> as it did it, and I made like a little bit of a noise as well, like Ugh, like that, right? And they just looked at me like I was mental and didn't jump at all. I looked like a fucking <laughs> idiot. But there you go. Sorry, I did jump twice at that. Um, but it's obviously the um, now you've got hundreds of Terminators and multiple hunter-killer units and stuff. And it's it's kind of gone from establishing an atmosphere to kind of showing off a bit. And it still, it still works. And, I mean, I, th- I think that, that whatever you think about the film, it's still a very important film in terms of the production and the, uh, the effects, mainly. Um, 
and it just kind of it continues that and but it just kind of, it, it kind of gets boring for me kind of the first act is really good and Robert Patrick is amazing yes and uh, you're talking about the music I kind of there's kind of like a, his theme is like a vacuum cleaner so uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and it's really good and it's a really good uh alternative to the uh, Terminator theme, which is which is itself is kind of rejigged here to be kind of different to the original one. Um, it's a lot more metallic as well. Um, but it's it's that, I mean, and we'll talk about it in more detail, but it's that moment where you get to the, where he gets, you get to them at the hospital where they're rescuing Sarah and it's a really good moment and she sees the Terminator and she runs from him and it's brilliant. And then he goes, come with me if you want to live. And it's just like, oh my God, really? Do you think he was uh, programmed to say that? Ca- ca- <laughs> from yeah. there. That's a classic line though. Yeah. It's like, it's like the way he says, I'll be back later in the film. It's very cheesy though, isn't it? It's very cheesy, but it's one of those you know iconic movie lines. If you look up a list of all time top cinema quotes, chances are that and I'll be back will be up there, but it's just like, oh, really? <laughs> Especially where, and we talk again about the director's cut. There are a couple of scenes in the director's cut that where the theatrical cut kind of makes no sense without them. Oh, I agree. Because I think I said there's no perfect cut of this film. Yeah, because there's the point like halfway through where he just starts randomly smiling. He does it when he looks at the guns, and it always yeah, jarred. And, and then, and then there's the bit where he says, "Oh, trust me, I'll, I'll be back. Trust me," or whatever he says before he goes to um, not kill any of the police officers, and he smiles. Yeah, and it's just like yeah. Without, I mean, the, the, I don't really particularly like the scene in the director's cut, which it all stems from. But even so, without that, it just kind of seems really, really strange. And we need to refer to the director's cut yes, as we absolutely. go through. But, um, um, I've got problems with that scene, but it's more the pacing of is, it. We'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah, is that the about him having a, a learning chip? Yes, because yeah. the, I've well, you know, um, I've, it was on recently on ITB. Uh, th- this week, so I watched it like a second time, and that seemed to be like the original, or at least the non-director's cut. Them discussing it in the car is in the original, them actually taking it out of a yeah. to reprogram it is not. Now, I did notice yeah. there was like, literally when they are like taking like the bullets out, where that scene starts to stem from, Arnie does mention that um, I have, you know, and, and, it, and it edits itself, that um, he, he, said, he, he explains that I have a chip and it's a learning computer and it just cuts or it, it, it briefly cuts so it cuts out all the bit where he explains the fact that he needs to be activated and you need to do you know and it cuts that whole, that whole bit but in, in I, th- I think and I could be wrong in the original theoretical cut it um, that that it does make sense in terms of he does have Arnie mention that I have a learning computer so like the more I learn the more I think the more I learn and then and then yeah. that, and that, that, that's it so that does exp- that does explain but it just doesn't have the the stuff about them trying to activate it by taking it out and things yeah. like that. There's some really there is, there are some good things in the director's cut. We'll talk about it, but it, it unbalances the film. Yeah. Um. What I mean, the, Act Two of the film's baggy anyway. Uh. So yeah. put that deleted stuff in, and it just makes it worse. And yeah, Sarah, it does suffer from that. Sarah like behaves like a fucking idiot in that scene as well. The cut scene, Sarah's an idiot, but we'll talk about it in a bit. Um. 
Yeah, but there are scenes in Act One I like. But um, but yeah, to to speak to what Charlie was saying about broadly that the, the the middle film where you have like a literally about forty minutes without the T one thousand does not make an appearance and you feel it, you know, like it, it finally like when you when you get to like Skynet and then uh, Robert Patrick shows up again that you think oh thank God a threat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You feel you feel like you know. Um, you think, hang on, you got your principal villain on the chase, and he's not made an appearance yet. We've not seen him. Do you, and it, do you know what I mean? And, first, I, and I think the, the film first suffers film, that. You could, you could feel his shadow. Yeah. Whereas you couldn't in this one because you know they were on the move. It was quite clear he didn't know where they were instantly. You know what I mean? So. But he, he knew what he was up to. You knew mm. he was constantly on the chase. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've definitely got some problems. I mean, when we come to future weeks. Charlie's right about, oh, they sent another one through. But I thought, give it that pass. But in future weeks, when they keep sending different models through again, you just think, okay. And and when we get to Dark Fate, which we're going to record... Actually, Becca wasn't online when we were talking about this, but we're going to look to record it before we get to the end of the series just because of where we are in our schedule. Um, So we'll probably record Dark Fate before Genesis. But when you get to Genesis and Dark Fate, there's new models again, and you just go, this, none of this makes any sense at all. Um, I, you kind of give it the pass here, though. Um, I think so, yeah, no, I just a point on that Charlie made about the score. I do think it is kind of, you say it's like very metallic. It does sound, I was going to say mechanical, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It sounds kind of very industrial. Um, Reminds me of Iron Man with his hammer. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's, yeah, I was just thinking, I was thinking, oh, was it remind me of, oh, yeah, it's, it's a very kind of, like, in, very much industrial, especially when they get to the, the factory as well. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a very interesting point, and I agree with all yours. Okay, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Well, that depends on which sequence you're on about. Well, actually, we still, both, all versions of the film open in the same place, thankfully, and I have to say... Very, I, I can't swear that it was first viewing because let's remember I was 40. But very early in my life of knowing this film, I've always watched this sequence going, I'm being manipulated, but I'm perfectly happy to be manipulated. In that the way they play our emotions in the opening se- sequence and through the titles is actually, it's really, it's playing every like emotion it can. Swing, you know, kids swings on fire and things like that. Um, but we start with uh, what was then modern day traffic jams in what we assume is LA. I'm assuming, and then cuts immediately. Yeah, cuts immediately to 2029 with a bit of a whiteout effect to kind of hint at the bombs. And uh, Linda Hamilton voiceover, which I don't think kicks in until that foot comes down, does it? Or does she say a little bit? No, first? she says it before. Yeah, she says a no, little she, bit. She first. says it as, as it's panning across again the kind of rubble, and you see kind of like bits of three billion lives yeah. ended on, on yeah. August 29th, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, and um, they never actually reference the year the film is set in, only obliquely in that John's date of birth is February nineteen eighty five. I always thought it was 1994, but then I was thinking back to when he was conceived, not born. He was born in early 85, which means if he's 10, it's it's 95. And she's just basically saying um, three billion lives were ended on that day. We see a little bit. We see a bit from um, the future war, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, we see, we see a bit older John Connor. 
Yeah, well, it cuts yes. to like a little sort of garrison, if you like, and she says, as before, uh, a Terminator was sent. Uh, no, two Terminators were sent back. There was a there is a gap in the dialogue, and when it comes back, she says, uh, as uh, two Terminators were sent, well, the first to strike at me when before John was born, the second when he was a boy. As before, the resistance were able to send back a lone protector for John. Um, and it actually pans forward to see his scarred face, which is another thing they try to explain in Salvation. We actually see him get that scar in Salvation. Um, and he's, he's quite the lantern jaw middle-aged man by this point, isn't he? He's about 44 at this stage, John Connor. He still, still looks a bit like, you know, as you say, like the matinee hero, though. Yeah, a little bit. Obviously definitely. kind of yeah. battle scarred. This guy would make a decent Punisher or something. Mm. Um, yeah, very much in that, in that vein. And then the film starts to physically slow down into slow motion. Slow motion. And then we go into uh, the credits, which is basically uh, the world on fire. And this is actually affecting. It really is yeah. quite affecting, even though we are we are being played here. But it's really really affecting. It, stuff. it, it, it is a score, though. It's like just the Terminator theme, just. Just, yeah. just big duff when you think, yeah, yeah, f- full on, yeah, great. Yeah, because they use a chorus as well. Mm. Even the even yes, they do, and even the timing of it, the 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 swings are slowed down. Yeah, it's very much like Roger Moore pushing those women over in the spy who loved me, Chris. That's, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> a little bit like that. Love so much, but there isn't any. What's that? Too late. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, and then it just ends with the um, it ends with the the, the T eight hundred appearing from the the flames and coming right up to sort of eye level with the camera, mm-hmm. and that's it. And then you have like the sort of the steely sort of like close down, and you, you know it's always kind of does it does it start with like a truck? Yeah, it kind of slams down, and then it, it it's kind of the the, the grill of the truck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the arrival of. Right, now I haven't seen this for a couple of weeks now because of our recording schedule. Which one arrives first? It's Arnie, Arnie. first. Yeah, Arnie, yeah, 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 Arnie yeah. arrives at the biker bar. I suppose it would have to be if he was the good guy. Cause you'd want, yeah, okay. He arrives and goes to a biker bar. The effect of, the effect of them arriving has changed a little bit. It, they arrive in kind of like a, a perfect circle that burns the world around them. So there's, yeah. a, there's a crevice in the floor and like... The chunks out of the truck. With the T thousand, there's a bit of the catch fencing burnt away as well. Mm. Um, yeah, you go straight to a biker bar. This is the only um, Terminator arrival that's got anything on the first one. Really, it's okay. He goes into this biker bar and just, uh, I mean, yeah, for clothes. Yeah, I think that's it. This, this is it. This, and then, and this is the kind of one of the the elephants in the room about this film is the whole thing of him being a Terminator that doesn't terminate anyone. Yeah. Given that it takes halfway through the film before John Connor does this stupid, I swear I will not kill anyone thing, then he, he's, and especially if the, the film is trying to keep up this pretension that Arnie is still a bad Terminator. He which which one of the guys in the first one? Yeah, yeah. exactly. With his guts out. <clears throat> exactly, and uh, so in here it's like 
he throws one guy through a window, fair enough, might have done some pretty bad damage, but then he stabs another guy in the thing, and then the other guy's like, leave him alone. The other guy backs off, where really it should be a slaughter. But then if it's not a slaughter, it can't lead to the bit where he steals the guy's sunglasses to the fucking bad to the bone. <laughs> I still don't know. It's not, not, not quite the same, is it? It's oh. a bit, um, I, I, I think I, well, that, that's why he appears, you know, in the, on the as in one of my fun facts last weekend. Obviously, he's on the AI for, AFI list for being a hero and a villain. So, well, he stole the glasses, and I thought that's purely for iconography because yeah. it, 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 you're an infiltration unit and you're putting on shades at night. But also, if his it's because he's bad to the bone. Oh, that's right. sorry. <laughs> because uh, because well. at least at least in the first one when he had his eye got messed up, they he wore sunglasses to cover, yeah, that. To cover it up. Yeah, but, he doesn't um, really need them to see, does he? So no, though Arnold Schwarzenegger said that he tried in all of the entries not to blink, and he said there's some mistakes in the first one. So I'd already seen the first one when I read that. Oh, I'll be looking out for so the new one. I'll be looking when to I watch, see and blink. When I watched this one, I was aware of that and I watched it and I noticed one blink and it's in the bar. It is in the bar when he looks down. I think it's when the cigar's burnt on him. He looks down and then as he looks up again, he slightly blinks. Uh, but it's very, very slight. It's almost like he knows he mustn't. So I suppose that helps if you've got shades on. You can blink as much as you like. <laughs> yeah, he just spends all his time going, oh, The eyes are dry. Can I put some shades on? <laughs> um, yeah, so he steals a motorcycle and some shades and a gun. And looks bad to the bone. And looks bad to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get the second term. I, I do feel sorry for those guys because they really they just like just a bunch of bikers who just got the fucking asses kicked and the, the guy's got serious burns and he's got you know got his spike nets and the shoulder probably couldn't finish his pool game. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think there were a couple of cuts that were in the initial film that were that are now restored. Like when he lands on the uh, on the on the the hob. Right. He uh, he kind of pushes up and down mm. with it with his with his uh, with his palms, um, whereas before he just landed on the hob and then Go, ah and fell then off, slumped on the floor. Yeah. Burn. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the second Terminator has arrived without us seeing him arriving. We see mm. the aftermath. The police officer turns up to see whatever this electrical disturbance was, and yeah. a big big hole in the catch fencing, which is clearly where he arrived. And I just love the lack of a reveal here in here in that like Robert Patrick walks up to him naked and then something happens and this guy goes over and you go, what happened there? Mm. Is he stolen a knife or what? And yeah, we will find out. What about where from there? I mean, it's kind of ambiguous because for, you know, it's like you don't see anything. Could have just given him a cut and stole his clothes? Yeah. Well, there was something in the gut, wasn't it, mm. basically? So I suppose he could have punched him or something. It could have just been like Arnie in the first one, where he just, yeah, he just rips that guy's stomach through. All right, yeah. Actually, just, just, just as a aside, looking on the uh, BBFC website, that when the film was released over here um, on VHS in uh, 1991, um, it was cut by 18 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So it was cut for home video initially. Well, I'm so wondering, that, was it was it R rated over there, or was it? It was, yeah. It was R rated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, uh, and then 
Is it to, to, to the hospital next? Uh, you have... Uh, no, you have John and the foster parents. And he's, like, there, like, you know... He's there with his mate, with his mullet, on the... Uh, you know, rev- revving his bike. Yeah. He's obviously seen like he's obviously seen the living daylights. He knows that you <laughs> must only ever have one song on you. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, just the famous. Honestly, the length of time that you could be mine runs. <laughs> it's incredible. He, he must have only got the single on cassette. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's either the twelve-inch version or it's, he's just got the one song. That's it. But he hasn't got a very fetching set of balloons to hand out along the way. That's where he falls down. Alright. Oh yes, sorry, I clued into what you were talking about then. Sorry, that was a quite obscure reference, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's and the thing is, whenever the night, I sorry. think of that character, I always think of him at the like the safe house at the start of the film, not Oh that yeah, that's true. Film. He hasn't got a milk bottle to lob. Yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> <would> <laughs> be... So yeah, this kid is in the garage working on a bike with his mate and his father walks out, or his foster father walks yeah. out. No, it's his mother, isn't it? Yeah. His foster mother walks out. Yeah, it's like, John, it's out of your room and that kind of stuff. Yeah, just not particularly thoughtful it's, dialogue. It's Vasquez. The sorts of things you say to a kid. To a kid, yeah, it is. It's Vasquez from um, from Aliens. Mm. I'm trying to think of the character's name, uh, the act actress's name. It uh, is, is uh, Jeanette Goldstein. And Jeanette, Jeanette Goldstein. And Jeanette's her name in the. Uh, sorry, Janelle is her name in the. Uh, yeah, it's Todd and Janelle, isn't it? Yeah. I'm looking for them here. I'm struggling to find them. Hang on a minute. And Xander Berkeley. Yeah. Xander, Xander, Xander Berkeley's been in loads and loads of stuff, but um, yeah. he was in the first couple of seasons of 24. Um, and in the second season, he is literally Jack Bauer's boss and he ends up dying in, of radiation poisoning. He was or, the guy. Or he's got radiation poisoning and actually performs an heroic act when he's dying anyway, sort of thing. And was the guy who was um, shagging Al Pacino's wife in um, Heat. Right. Oh, yes. Yes, it was. He says, you can have my wife, but you can't have my TV. <laughs> That's a real shit. If, if, like, if that was like a Marvel film, that would be the worst kiss-off line ever. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. he was also the, uh, the, the bad security guy in the uh, Air Force One. Oh, yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that for a while. Fun fact. Fun I've only fact. Seen it once. Jeanette Goldstein, I'm just looking up now. No, it's linking to the wrong person. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She's been in loads of stuff as well. But yeah, in, in James yeah. Cameron world, obviously best known as Vasquez, who was another kind of kind of hilariously one-dimensional character. Everyone talks about a Cameron writes amazing women. And he writes strong women in respect to him for that, but I'm not sure they're that nuanced. But um, okay, so... Uh, I think she goes in, complains to Xander. Xander goes out and, you know, come in and do what you told and all the rest of it. And she's like, she's not my mother, Tard. And I immediately, <laughs> think, I immediately think, I'm not going to like this little shit. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and he, dri- he drives off and, and to, to, yeah, uh, he, dr- he drives off with his friend who has a spectacular ginger mullet. <laughs> it's very 80s, 90s mullet. Oh, dear. It's great. It's great in its way. I mean, I wouldn't want. You one. just know they sort of talk about forming a band, don't you? You shouldn't be watching. You shouldn't be watching a film like this and thinking of Reese Dinsdale in Comb to Roost with <laughs> the 1986 <laughs> sitcom with John Thorpe. <laughs> I, I'm, I might be one of the few people who got that reference. <laughs> yeah, I've just I've just realised if you're much younger than forty, you won't know that reference. Um, okay. 
so yeah, they drive off, and then we cut straight to the uh, asylum, Pescadero State Hospital. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know if asylum is a PC word now anymore, but yeah, the, she's in a she's in a uh, in, an institution anyway for the criminally insane. Yeah. Um, and it, it criminally insane, so she has committed criminal acts trying to stop Judgment Day and all the rest of it. And I think we start with her talking to, um, what's the character called? Earl Bones' character. Silverman. Silverman from the first film. Yeah, because he's yeah. doing a tour, isn't he? He's doing a tour and you get introduced back where Sarah oh, the is. the tour is first. It's the tour first. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Because you guess because the first time we see her is when she lands off that bar, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah still she's pull-ups. doing the pull-ups. Yeah. 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 And he, it's just a little bit of background, actually, because he's telling the people on the tour. The, the, yeah. effectively the plot of the first film very quickly um, and uh, <laughs> not that he says I'm that guy from Star Trek 2 the Wrath of Khan was in it um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> morning Sarah how's the knee Yeah, she, she stabbed him in the knee at some point I can't remember where in the director's cut I wish we'd recorded closer sorry folks but I, w- I certainly wasn't going to watch it again I watched it twice um, but there is a scene with uh, Kyle Reese in the director's cut. That's yeah. later on because that's, 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 that's after. She, that's after she right. That's the reminder. Yeah. I needed to say it to prompt me on where it was, and it's after she's drugged later. Yeah, because she's drugged, and then it's a dream sequence. We find out. Um, do we go straight to? Um, we see two two one show up at um, John's house while Foster. Bear I was going to say logically in filmmaking terms, you cannot cut straight to her talking to Silberman. You can't. Mm. Because you can't cut from two characters in one place to another. So, mm. yes, it's the T-1000 turning up. Uh, it's a good-looking boy. Yes, what we mm. forgot to say is when he killed the policeman at the start, he got in and got on the police computer and found John Connor's address mm. and date of birth, which is why we know it was February 1985. Um, and, yeah, they know who's looking after him. So she turn- he turns up, obviously, as a policeman and says, I need to ask him some questions. And she says, uh, a, a bigger guy, a biker guy, was here earlier. Is it anything to do with that? So we know Arnie's been there as well. And she, he says, no, I wouldn't worry about him. Um, now, there is a um, deleted scene. It's not even in the director's cut. And I, I don't know if it's now or later, because it is a deleted scene. So I don't know if they invited him in at this point in that deleted scene, or whether it is later when he, in fact, kills them. But there is a scene where the T-1000 goes into John's bedroom, un- unoccupied. John's not there. He's, I'm presuming it's, it, it, he's either off with Arnie or he's at the mall, depending on when in the film it is, because I can't even remember whether it was night or day. I think it was daytime, which is why I think it was here. And he's just walking around the room very, in an almost feline fashion, just touching things, touching the books and just rubbing his hands along surfaces and things like that. And it is that sense of him as quite a sort of, or his skill set being quite sensual. And I like it. I don't know how much sense it makes, because really you've only got to sort of see or touch someone to be able to change into them and all the rest of it. But I just like it as a little scene they cut. Yeah, it's it's just like a nice little extra, isn't it? Mm. Um, but again, if you cut in for time, it's not essential. Mm. Um, um, so we cut from that to. Um, it must be Silverman, mustn't it? No, well, we we get a trans- no, so we get a cut to that to uh, John sort of stealing cash, stealing money. Yeah, yeah. you know, because you know, because he's stealing like money. he's a twat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. 
he's got this computer thing that he can basically attach to a credit card, put into or put into a machine, an ATM, and it will narrow down to what the pin is. So he was able to withdraw three hundred dollars, which I'm assuming is the daily maximum over there. Or look, look at then. the size of that machine as well. Yeah, discreet, isn't it? That's why he's only got one room. I've got for one, one in my pocket. That's what, yeah, that's why he's only got room for one song in his bag. Yeah, he's only got one pocket. <laughs> yeah, he would have been driving. Obviously, like miniaturisation was still. I mean, if you look at sort of something like the, um, oh god, like the Walkmans, for example, like the cassette players, or yeah, I don't know when the CD players arrived on the scene. That was probably mid mid late nineties, I would imagine. Eighties, early eighties. Um, um, although, the, yeah, they're, the they're album, huge, aren't they? Really big, the clunky album. things. The album that massively popularised the compact disc in terms of sales was Brothers in Arms. That was it. Which came out in 85, so that'll tell you when it was all taken off. Uh-huh. Yeah, taste. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's back when people potentially thought Dire Straits was modern classical music. Anyway. <laughs> that was like double. Anyway. Um, so this establishes like the fact that he's got, you know, as, as 90s films involving kids kids have got tech skills so it yeah, established the fact that, that he can he can hack his way out of the security in a big uh big complex of a of a corporation with really high tech yeah <laughs> that's what they should do just 10 year old <laughs> them and you'd be all right uh so yeah they, they head off to the galleria the galleria yeah. uh, i don't yeah. know like the way he says that line i don't know why um yes. Yeah, so it's from there we get to uh, the, the 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 Carl dream, Carl Reese dream. Well, it's not quite at this point. It's she's being um, she's in consultation with Silverman, and we're seeing footage of her. We think six months earlier, and she's with Silverman. It's, they're filming these consultations, and yeah. they're showing her a film of a previous consultation where she utterly lost her shit, saying that like you're all dead. This all goes, mm-hmm. everything, everybody dies, you, me, everybody, and she's screaming. And eventually they pause the video and she's calmly, she, they've made her far too pale and white. It's it's all so unsubtle. And she's smoking a cigarette because all, all, um, all commando types, obviously, Nick, you know, tar helps. And, um... <laughs> be, 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 it's because she's now hard, Dave. Right, she's, yeah. she's harder than badass. It is, yeah, she's just she's hard as nails, so therefore she has to be smoking. So, a in other words, the cast of Coronation Street in the sixties must have been rock fucking solid. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, it's one of those films, obviously, because like now, um, you know, you don't as band, you know, heavily discouraged. But I just, it's one of those films like it's as you, you know, as we said earlier in the show, it's very much of this era. But obviously, seeing this at the cinema, I was like, "There's a lot of smoking in this movie." Yeah, there's a fair but bit. I've got, I've got a problem with this very much of the time. It does kind of show, um, yeah, a character's toughness, especially female character's toughness as well. But it's just like it's just not having seen a lot of it on screen, or especially if it's you know, in like like a period piece, for example, yeah. um, like Mad Men, for example, set in sort of the fifties and sixties, um, everybody smokes. But yeah, I was just like. Bloody hell, you know. <laughs> what amazes me is like the film with like a lot of character smoking and a lot of running. No one seems to be a bit. stairs with the ease and grace of a cat. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's fine. Times have changed faster than you think as well, because it wasn't that long ago I saw the Only Fools and Horses episode where Dell became a father and Rodney was smoking oh, yeah. at the hospital. Rodney was smoking in the hospital corridor, and that was 1991. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I didn't think that was that late. 
But yeah, oh, um, also, yeah, very you know recent change in, in British law, and then obviously, you know, um, smoking inside has been banned. It's just it's just it seems after, you know, kind of being discouraged in everyday life. Obviously, people still do it, but it just seems weird to see it on screen, and certainly of of, of my generation. Yeah, yeah, she's she's really hard, definitely. I just thought of Austin Powers then. Do you smoke after six? I don't know. I never looked. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's actually quite funny. That was quite funny. I find that like quite funny. <laughs> yeah, so do I. But anyway. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, we're now finding it far funnier than it actually was. Because <laughs> you giggled a bit, which has started me off. <laughs> do you smoke after six? I don't know. I never looked. Anyway. So that was hilarious. Yeah. Uh... Well, that's just you in a nutshell, Austin. No, this is me in a nutshell. Help! I'm in a nutshell. How did this happen? I remember remember us doing that whole sequence, right? And then me apologising to listeners because they weren't going to enjoy it as much as we did. (laughs) Yeah, so the the interview here, she's trying to play calm and she's, she's basically saying... You said if if I'd shown improvement, I could see my son. So she's done what she's required to do for um, the six months, which makes you wonder how long ago she stabbed him in the knee then. But um, obviously, he then starts saying, look, you're smart. You're going to tell me what I want to hear. I think if I put you to minimum security, you're just going to try and escape again. And then she starts fairly calmly to start with saying, I need to see my son. He's naked without me. And of course, as he's refusing and saying, you'll, you'll have to wait another six months. She, she leaps across the table and starts going at him again. Mm. And that's where she is um, sedated and taken back to her room. And that's where in the director's cut, you get the um, John uh, Carl Reese scene. The only thing I want to ask, you've all seen the theatrical cut recently. Is the orderly licking her face in the, theatrical version that's later on i remember that that's like when the two one thousand gets there because she's sedated um because is it in the theatrical cut though? No, i always it's... thought that was a weird beat like just a just a little beat to suggest he's a bit of a pervert i think it still is yeah after, after after that bit where he says where where she's so or where she's sedated and taken away yeah. yeah, she's she's dated and she's basically okay. because the, there is more. I think there is more in the director's cut. There's there's more of them like sort of forcibly getting the pills down her because like after the initial visit, yeah. Um, yeah. this you know he says to her, you know, well they kick the shit out of her in, yeah. the, in, the, in the director's cut. Basically, yeah. they do. Yeah, they do. To make her to, yeah to make her take her pills because she says yeah. she says like, I'm not taking them, Dougie. Mm. Yeah, it's when she escapes later. I do get a little bit confused on the running order of this thing. Yeah. When she's taken back to her room, um, she's on the floor and she actually has the dream then. Yeah. And it's not immediately obvious it's a dream. and Well, it is if you've ever seen a film, but it's not <laughs> super signposted, except it is slightly soft focus. Um, Kyle's in her room and Michael Bean has not aged in seven years. Yeah. It, 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 it looks like he's walked straight off the set of the first one. He still he just looks, looks the same. He looks identical in what he's mm. dressed in, everything. And obviously, we just reviewed the first film. So I'd seen it with it a couple of days before. And it was like, he looks exactly the same. And it's a pep talk. It's a pep talk, but it's also back to that thing Chris said at the end of the last one. The, you know, we loved a lifetime. It's just reminding you of that. There's still that yeah, he does connection in the mind. Soldier. Yeah. The way he says it is lovely. On, on the page, I hated that line. Oh, God, you're repeating that line, are you? 
which is, was only something she said to G him up at the end when yeah, he was yeah, dying. Yeah. Um, but he just, he just says, on your seat, feet, soldier. And he says it really softly to her. Yeah. Um, and she says, he says, time, he says something along the lines of, we don't have much time. Yeah. Where's our son, Sarah? Where's our son, Sarah? Mm. Um, but again, some of the information is there in the original uh, Silberman thing because we've also we've already been told about this soldier that came back and she fell for. We've already been told that she believes that John is quote unquote naked without her. So I can see why they cut it because you don't need Kyle to be telling her that as well. But I like the scene. I think it's a shame it's not in the final film. I don't know yeah. what you guys think. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. I mean, as far as I could have done without the, um, I think could have done without the the interview. Really, to be honest with you, like the the fact that you know the 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 whole Sarah smoking a cigarette and because the way she plays it, she plays it almost like it's just she is literally crazy and is openly trying to. Manipulate a, a way to uh, yeah, to, really to escape. Obvious, yeah, and you think, well, if you are literally Sarah Connor and you know that you're not mental, you know this is all true and all or whatnot. You you you'd be smarter than this. You you would you would be absolutely there. Yeah, hands up, Doctor. I am completely normal. Come on, you know this kind of thing. You would yes. not be this like, and you would you you'd be smart enough not to go and fucking belt him around the head when he denies you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Leaping across tables and stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, you know, it, I just don't think you need it. And I think from from the point where you, we last saw Sarah Connor, like, you know, getting drugged up, you could have cut that later on to her waking up with the dream sequence. And you not yeah. missed anything. I don't think this uh, the the stuff with the uh, psychologist uh, guy really adds anything, really. I think it just sort of just makes it seem like Sarah Connor's gone mental. Uh, I don't know what you guys think. I've got mixed feelings on it because I think there is there is a slight indication that it has actually played with her mental health. She's got the she's got the um, responsibility of what she knows that virtually no one else knows. And if she tries to tell anyone else, they're not going to believe her anyway. And she's, you know, driven to try and do what she can to stop something she's sort of been told that in, is inevitable. And she's panicking because her son's out there. And I mean, I. It depends on. You could get very philosophical about time travel and um, inevitability of timelines and stuff. But if John Connor is a. grows into a great military leader, I would have thought that if you kind of behave fairly naturally, that will happen. Whereas she's shacked up with a load of military blokes over the years and stuff mm. like that. And I'm not convinced that's Sarah Connor, even under all this stress. So I'm not sure. I mean, there is a bit of like dialogue. I think when um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure when it was like John was stealing the money or whatnot before. It might, it might, it might be sort of just, just afterwards, but she uh, explains why, why, why she is and what effect that had on her. Cause like she built up, for him, like you're going to be this great military leader, and then and then everyone's like, oh, oh, sorry, kid, your mum's a psycho, didn't you know? So that's why he's a bit like fucking resentful, a bit yeah, angry. That's, at when, that's, that's when he that's when he speaks to his, when he after he finds out that the Terminator is protecting him, that's because right. that's when he's kind of processing that it's real. 
but he, he does say something to his friend at the cash point. Oh yeah, he just says she's a psycho. He says, yeah. "Where'd you?" He says, "Where'd you learn all this stuff from?" And he says, "My mum, my real mum." She's and he says, "She's pretty, pretty cool, cool, huh?" Yeah, and he says, "No, she's a psycho." He's in Pescadero because she tried to blow up a robot factory. I don't know what she tried to blow up, but it was something, and it would probably be whatever Cyberdyne. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, we've got. I don't know. This is where I lose the thread because we've gone into director's cut and back out. When she in the director's cut, Kyle says Kyle sort of cuts to the door in Mm. that like he's with her, hugging her, and when Mm. she looks left, he's in the doorway, and he says, "Yeah, I don't know the exact words, but it is like we we don't have much time." Yeah, yeah, and he starts heading down the corridor, and this is where it completely signposts. If you haven't picked up already, that it's a dream sequence. The way she runs down the corridor, the cameras, mo- the way the camera's moving, is very dream dream sequencing. Mm-hmm. And he goes down, and he walks around a corner, and he she can't see him. So when she gets around the corner, there's sort of some fire escape doors, and when she opens them, she goes out and actually sees the end of the world. Yeah, she opens up as a big playground. Yeah, not the version that's in the the, uh, the theatrical cut, which is another yeah. reason lose one. You don't need to see it twice. The version where she sees a younger version of herself, which is clearly thirty four year old Linda Hamilton in twenty seven year old Linda Hamilton's wig. You know, <laughs> it mm. looks like an older woman playing younger. When that is in the theatrical cut later, when she falls asleep in Mexico. Um, then I I can't now. I cannot remember what happens next in terms of... I can't remember how she ends up... Does she see Silberman twice? Because she steals a she steals a um, paperclip, doesn't she? Yeah. Uh, this is... Yeah, but that's later on when the police are there. So, uh, yeah, next, that's a little bit next, right. Yeah, because... Yeah, gotcha, then, gotcha. I realised I realize yeah. what it was the, now. Because she's trying to break the, out. The next scene is kind of cut between this uh, sort of thing because there is like a bit when 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 Sarah's trying to persuade uh, people like the like sort of, but you know uh, about yeah but you said, these are all eyes well like you know but they um, but you said that they had like um, they they had the technology or something like that you said that or they, you know you said that they lied or the why and she says well why would they and it cuts to like Dyson yeah and then because so I'm, I'm guessing. After the car respit, then it goes back to John. Yeah, there's a longer the, Dyson uh, bit mm. in the director's cut as well. You see a bit more of him with his family and working. In the arcade. Yeah. Oh, the arcade. Yeah, playing like I don't know, Outrun or something like mm. that. What was he playing? He was playing. It was playing quite a while. Afterburner. Afterburner. That was it. Yeah. He was yeah. Like yeah. Classic game. I think he played Tempest first, which was the kind of really really old school thing where it says the end, and right. then he went on and played Afterburner. Okay. Is there like Outrun in there as well, or? A, um, I, like yeah, a, yeah, I, I would imagine that so because yeah. that was yeah, they were both around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, it's kind of I've, I've got fond memories of playing that with my dad whenever <laughs> we go to an arcade. Oh, I I grew up on it because I I grew up in Minehead. Mm. Um, so uh, course, um, yeah. So back in the eighties, the uh, the arcades were in full flow and really popular. Of course, yeah. And uh, and yeah, so they had all of those. Yeah, I might have been there on many a family occasion. Constantly. Mm. No, I bet, definitely. And he runs into his... So the T-1000 runs into the mullet, mate. <laughs> yeah, he's been asking people, have you seen this kid? Because he takes, he takes yeah. a picture. Is it Galleria? 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 
Yeah, he, he bumps into Mullet Boy and uh, he's, <laughs> Mullet Man. He points him, yeah, points him the other way and yeah, then runs and sort of replaces John playing Afterburner, and John sort of starts heading off. And I think uh, some girls tell the T one thousand he's down there, and that's that's where the, the whole thing yeah, they starts. Point down. Yeah, because because Mullet Boy reappears and goes, "Hey, I think I saw that guy," and he just pushes him. <laughs> that's out. his name. Yeah, just go, man. I stole him. <laughs> have seen Arnie on the bike when they were on the bike earlier. Arnie did make a visual. Um, yeah, Matt John. So Arnie has been uh, following him as well. We just haven't been watching Arnie. Arnie is yeah. now at the gallery as well. So John runs through like a little escape door into a corridor and immediately sees the T eight hundred. Yeah, and, and that, this is where the, the reveal is, is, isn't it? Well, his mother has probably described this thing quite vividly to him because you can immediately see a look of recognition. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it does help the fact that Arnie's quite a striking fellow anyway. And especially yeah. matched with, like, sort of, like, you know, probably dressed in, like, sort of, like, a biker level, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So also helps he was in Total Recall, which was out. <laughs> That's what you got to say. <laughs> He was in Total Recall. He, oh, right. he, he looks oh, like that sort of uh, Austrian, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like world's strongest man. You know that guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if if we'd had John Thor as a Terminator, then uh, <laughs> it, it would be a lot more effective. Well, yeah, but only if they've not seen Inspector Morse, <laughs> <laughs> the Sweeney. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be fucking glorious? <laughs> So, like, yeah, starring John Ford and Dennis Waterman as Carl Reese, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Sweeney's... Oh, Dave, yeah. David Foster, the T-1000, yeah. Shut it! <laughs> Shut it, you snake. <laughs> All right, so... The, the, yeah, the first fight kicks off. Oh, of course, we do not know this thing's liquid metal at this no. point. No. Yeah. <laughs> what a reveal. What a reveal this was. I mean, I knew because I'd seen the TV spot, but yeah. yeah, I think everyone knew by the time they saw it. Over here, but um... yeah, they've actually had the inside knowledge. <laughs> That's what happens when you watch, you know, ITV on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I'm a bit. I'm more. I'm most upset with myself that I was clearly watching a commercial channel. What's wrong with me? Um, yeah. So first, first SmackDown. Arnie's clearly protecting him as well, so we mm. instantly know that he shot several times in the back. Knocks open a door, pushes him out of the way. Somebody gets caught in the crossfire and shot several times. And we do see the whole liquid metal sort of mm. deform and reform thing. And we also see him get out his gun and trample on roses. There you go. That explains the song. <laughs> it was in the video. It was in the music yeah. video. Yeah. Um, Arnie was carrying a gun with, a, with roses. Yeah. So uh, John John runs off to get on his little bike, really, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, Arnie's, Arnie's chucked through a window in the middle of the warp mall, which I I thought I remembered from the first film as well. I might have done. I can't remember. I can't remember if he's chucked through a window in the first film or not. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, the technology he was because he was shot for it. I mean, if I've got it confused with Beverly Hills Cop, there's something wrong with me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was kind of in the same position when he got shot in the. Uh, yeah, he got shot through. Yeah, kind of some kind of glass separate thing in Technoir. That's what it is. And he got thrown on his back. Yeah, although the fact was they used to compare with Sarah from the police station anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's where the T uh, the T one thousand looks at the mannequin. Yeah, 
fair enough. Whatever. I didn't make too much of that. Um, and there's a cameo uh, by the um, the co-writer William Wisher. Who's the guy the, I would not have recognised that. The guy uh, with the camera. Oh, okay. He was right. Was he? That's another fun fact. Oh my god. Damn it. Fun fact. You've been. <laughs> another fun fact. Steal Anderson. your fun fact. I'm going to mix up another podcast. <laughs> but I've just found an equally interesting, well, it's kind of interesting, but not a very fun fact. But yeah, no, um, he does John appear. Thor, man, too much money. Yeah, too John, much moolah. John Thor was too expensive, yeah. He was, he was too busy and expensive, so. So know. they went to Frost, they got David Jason instead, perfect. <laughs> um, it was really good, that was a good series. No. All right. Recommend the books. All right. Um, big so, chase. Big chase sequence now. Uh, yeah, chase sequence. runs out, pulls the guy, pulls a guy off. No, he doesn't. Pulls a guy <laughs> out of the cab of his truck and jumps into that. And he's after John now. And people who know LA tell me the this is a bit like watching Rocky run through like Philadelphia. The geography of this is apparently all over the shop. Yeah, geography is really it's, frustrating. It's yeah, and they use the. Um, the canals, don't they? Because mm. um, if you've ever seen the film Blue Thunder, yeah, um, there's a whole bit where, where the two helicopters are chasing themselves, at the, chasing each other at the end, and they go through the canals. Yeah. And um, is it the same place in Greece as well? Uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say, hold on a minute. That, yeah, that that um, the area was seen it was used in Greece, but no, oh, um, I haven't, haven't been to LA as well. The, oh, yeah, you'll have seen it. it all in, over. I'm sure, it was in Chinatown and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it. Which is a bit better than Greece. But there you go. Anyway, <laughs> another <laughs> um, fun fact. Um, that's fun, folks. Uh, yeah, this chase sequence is still terrific. Yeah, it's a fantastic scene. It's one of my favourite scenes in the film. It's just the whole geography of it. Forget the geography of the city. It's the geography of everyone relative to each other. So you've got Arnie trying to catch up with John and try to take the T-1000 out of play and everything else. They're both on bikes of different size and power, obviously. And he's in some big truck, which isn't really suited to where they're going. And it's nice that they've given... Arnie kind of an iconic weapon as well with the the lever actions of the mm. shotgun that everyone's used to. It sticks in your There's mind, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the way he reloads it by just reloads kind of flipping it by it just it, flipping it around. Yeah. It's yeah. probably a lot more handy as well when you're on a bike. Just a. It's just the timing as well. Even mm. where he shoots locks off things and stuff like that, it's you. You see that lock a split second before he shoots it, and then he's mm. he's through it, and it it's a very very well edited scene. Um, and. Because they're in action, John's mouth is shut, so it's even better. <laughs> so, um, and obviously my, that, my, bi- my... that bike is Sorry. underpowered as well. That bike's underpowered as well. So, oh yeah, it's quite right. tense from that thing because the, the truck's catching up with him and stuff like that. What were you going to say, Charlie? I was just going to say my one issue in this, it's kind of just going to nitpick is that big, and it's it's again it's the difference between the first film where it's this kind of it had that single-mindedness, but because this is Cameron in blockbuster mode, mm. there's the and obviously Arnie as well being a superstar, it's the heroic shot of him or his stunt double. Um, the jump where jumping he jumps off down, the, uh, and it goes yeah, slow motion. Yeah. I don't like that. That that's very direct to video. And I'm pretty sure that is one of the ones where now Post- they've. Face replacement because that was the shot where you get a good long look at it, and I'm thinking that actually still looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. 
And I'm thinking if they've done something with wires, no, they haven't. They've replaced the face. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So we've got ten year old a ten year old being played by a thirteen year old probably during the time of filming. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Um but the action sequence itself is pretty good and obviously yeah, we also see yeah. we we obviously see the truck crash eventually because the tires have been blown out and stuff like that. It catches fire and we actually see the full liquid metal uh reveal of him walk out from the flames. Um, now, apparently, that took something like a week in a computer. They just left a computer running for a week to get that. It was done on an Amiga, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that's really great. Um, but, of course, John's about to speak now, which isn't going to help. Time out. Time out. I hate this. Because it's like doing the heavy breathing, you know, the shocked, and it's just like... It's okay, you're a Terminator, right? I get that, yeah. Um... And basically, Arnie explains to him that his model is obsolete. They're unlikely to be successful, um, and he has been there. And then comes out, I can't remember if he says it. No, he doesn't say it here. When he says, who sent you, you did. Mm. That's a hint at what's coming later, which is the silliest decision that's ever been made in this series, apart from Genesis, all of it. But um, because we're later to find out that he has to follow John's every... um, order why would you send why would you send uh, a killing stroke protection machine depending on how you utilize it of course train to do all that and say follow the guidance of a 10 year old because because i'm sure like a great military leader would install those like okay so make sure you don't kill any innocent civilians yeah, but you can say all that before you send him. Yeah, but exactly. That's what I mean. You think yeah. you, you think right, already pre-programmed, and uh, you're going to uh, don't, don't be afraid remember, to give me like yeah. a little little slap on the head if I'm being a yeah. swat. <laughs> he, he, he's ten, right? You won't understand this, but he's ten. Don't fucking traumatize him. Don't kill people. Just disable them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he has to he has to get that from a ten year old. You know. And if yeah. they're trying to shine you on, say this. And, oh. oh, I hate that phrase. But anyway, um, and, and if he ever tells you say like "I'll to be Easter," no one ever fucking says it. Yeah, don't yeah. say that. No one has ever said that except <laughs> yeah, except, except him. Say it. Yeah. What was it he said? What was it he said? When someone's trying to shine you on, that was Hasta la Vista, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Hasta la Vista, baby. No problem. Who says that? Who says that? He was sat in his the seat of the car like an asshole during that scene as well it's just <laughs> but anyway it's but, not but quite think, but think about in the first film right you know he's like, he actually sort of says, says someone says fuck off dick dick or, 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 or like you know he's when he's, in, he's in a hotel room in, yeah he doesn't need to be told like you know like you know, to, these stupid quotes from a kid could have been worse. <laughs> it could have been programmed by like Eon Productions or something. <laughs> and if this happens, just say I fell into some deep water. <laughs> Why do you still dry? Awesome and, and if you've got this space seat, keeping the British end up, sir. If you're caught shagging, we appreciate that's unlikely. But um, <laughs> raise your eyebrow and say witty phrase. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and if an old man says to you, well done, James, just ignore it. He's he's in the wrong series. He says something that really confused me where he says, where he says, does it hurt when you get shot? And he says, sensors reveal damage. The, 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 uh, 
Whatever. They let him know. Let him know that there's the like the census could be called pain, and it's like that's not an answer. Do you? It doesn't answer not? the question, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yes or no? Come on. In other words, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> but we're trying yeah. to humanize. Yeah. Are you going to be assigned with binary? Yes or no? I'm presuming we must go to. Uh, what do we go to now? We must go to. Hang on a minute. We, his parents aren't killed yet. Uh, well, we go from um, basically like to go from like him explaining stuff to like them calling the foster parents because he says, "Oh well, you know, they're dicks, but so, I gotta warn them." So it's now at night. They go onto the phone and ring home. Mm. This was the Wolfie reference from last week, actually. Yeah. Uh, so this. Because their dog's actually called Max, that's what gives it away. And then the, the, the director's cut has a really obvious scene where he... He goes out. He kills the dog. And sees it on the, on the thing. The, uh... You didn't need that. But I can no. see why you film it. You're just giving yourself options, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I can, yeah, I can see but... why you film it, but you don't need it. Him, Arnold saying your foster parents are dead. I mean, if you can follow a film, you should be able to follow... What's the dog called? Yeah. Wolfie. Mm. Uh, Max, okay. Well, where's Wolfie? You, you should be able to follow that, okay? Um, but yeah, that's when we get the reveal because he, he's he says he wants to go to his mother. He says no, and then he starts acting up, and the Terminator like grabs him. Yeah, and then he screams for help, and two <laughs> this does not help our mission. <laughs> and, and 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 two um, rejects from WWE come over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah. One of whom was like too fat to be like Patrick Swayze's stunt double. Even what they're wearing is just so 1990, isn't it? It's just like, it's like, it's not quite 80s, but just before we kind of fig- figured out to move on from that. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? it's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and that's where obviously we realise uh, Arnie goes to shoot them. Um, oh, do you, did you caught moi a dipshit? What? Yeah, I mean, this is like, I mean, this is it, it makes him instantly not likable because he's just on a power trip. Also, yeah. says moi, that really and, reminds me of Miss Piggy. And these guys do not deserve. I mean, yes, that yes, they look like WWF rejects, but you know, they are literally there just helping out like a kid that was calling out for help. Yeah, and then and then and then as soon as he turns up, they he, gets, he, he wants he, to humiliate them because he's yeah, got yeah. The power to do so. Yeah. But it, we do get the thing where he's about to shoot him and all the rest, to shoot them mm. and all the rest of it, and we already get this. No, you can't kill people. Why? And I remember Jonathan Ross had a chat show that used to like go up against Wogan or something. It used to be like half hour before or something, and they literally played this scene and just had a little counter with cash in the corner because they revealed what his salary was and how much that was a word. <laughs> so he says why and like $60,000 came up or something and then he says something again and he says why and it doubles <laughs> every time he says one word it goes up it goes up like whatever it was because he didn't have that many words it's more much much more than the first film but um, I do actually have a but, fun fact about yeah, that that's why up, I'm so... not saying the number <laughs> that's why I'm not I saying the number because I, I, I really I tried to verify this on a few different sites I'll tell you and all, I know, all different I'll, kind of figures when you so... tell us when you tell us, I'll tell you what I thought it was. Well, right. somewhere between X and Y. I'm yeah, going to tell right. you that. Okay, fair enough. Well, it's definitely between X and Y, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it could be between X and Z, but it could be Y. So they want. So they realise... Um, so the, the foster parents are dead. Um, the T-800 argues quite reasonably, he will definitely try to acquire you. 
he will kill you. Yeah. He will kill your mother. What will happen to my mother? Will he kill her, and then acquire her form? And it's like she's a priority to me. And again, then you get the bit we've just described, and he realizes he's in charge, so he he can demand they go there, and that's where they head. Um, before all that, um, I think the next thing we see is Sarah. The timeline doesn't quite work out because it's only, you know, it, this place is not that far away. They've mm. just got to head over there. But obviously, quite a lot happens during that journey. And it's Sarah yeah. told that the foster parents are being killed and shown a photo of the T-800. which obviously, And she's showing no reaction whatsoever. Yeah, she, yeah he tells her how she's going, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so she's, she actually plays this very, very well. And she steals a, a paperclip. Hmm. There's a paperclip, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and she's basically taken back to the bed, to her, her bedroom, the, the, her room. And I know that sounded dodgy, particularly it's if someone's about version. To, well, particularly if someone's about to lick her face. <laughs> this is like one of the things I always think. Well, how come like like staff members and these kind of things are always like the worst kind of people? I mean, he, in films, the, he looks like he looks like the stereotype of a sex offender, anyway. Yeah. It looks like it should be on Watchdog. Yeah, the patients. Yeah, so they get to, she gets taken back to her room, um, and she is securely tied to her bed. Um, <laughs> that's why bedroom probably isn't appropriate terminology. Um, but obviously, she she needs the paperclip to break out. I'm only, I mean, she spat it in the right direction, didn't she? That could have gone wrong. She spat it to exactly the distance she needed to. Of course she did. Uh, but there you go, anyway. So she she breaks out, and effectively, there's a few cuts here and there, but she, yeah, she, she breaks her way out. Or she's breaking her way out, anyway. She ends up with Silverman yeah. with, a, with a syringe in his neck full of, like, some industrial cleaner or something. I think, uh, maybe, I think maybe because, and again, this is something that doesn't maybe doesn't work as well as... Um, it could do because of the director's cut, but because in the director's cut we saw the guy beating the shit out of her, then she when then was she, she kind of breaks she hits him with a, yeah she she hit, yeah she hits him with a half a broom handle basically yeah um in the theatrical in the theatrical cut that's fucking disproportionate as hell yeah but in the director's cut it's like yeah they kicked the shit out of her first and I don't know about the face looking I cannot remember if that's in theatrical or not I, I think that is in the theatrical. I think it is, yeah. Because I always thought that was like a weird beat that they decided to excise, but you might be right. Okay. Well, I suppose that would that makes him a creep. They've got to do something, I suppose, to justify it, so make him a creep. I, I don't know. Um, they always do so that the, with like people who work in these places, aren't they? It's never yeah. like, so, never like, it's sort of like it's always like either that or there's one really nice, nice person and that's it. Everyone, everyone else well, is just a fucking it's, arsehole. It's, it's, it's like one from the <laughs> cuckoo's nest, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of everyone's got to have a nurse rancher. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's a great film. Yeah, um, yeah, such star, a film. starring Hong Kong Fooey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, I was talking about The Shining to someone the other day who was looking forward to Doctor Sleep and they hadn't seen it for years and I pointed out that that was Hong Kong Fooey and I've I've never seen anyone more impressed with anything I've ever said. Mind blown. They were just like, fucking wow. That's Hong <laughs> Kong Fooey, Scatman Crowd this year. And um, jazz in the Transformers. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I knew. Yeah. Well, yeah, Charlie, obviously. <laughs> 
Hong, Hong Kong and Dave. We could beat the Transformers. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hong Kong. I yeah, loved Hong Kong Fui as a younger adult, though. I'm not even as a kid. I had the video when I was in my early 20s. Anyway, go on. And then she uh, she takes out Silverman. Yeah, and the T-1000 is around because he's yeah. uh, he's mimicked a kind of overweight security guard and st- stabbed him through the eye. Not for the last time in this film. They did that with twins. There were there were two guys. Um, it's, it's... Yeah, there's two guys from Erie, Indiana. They're, they're also in um, in Gravelums too. Yeah, they yeah. are the two. The two, for a few the two guys that uh, make make a Gizmo dance to the the uh, fifties. I haven't seen it for so long. I remember really liking Gremlins too. Oh yes, it's amazing. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I they were also in, I've seen the first one more often. It was in Erie, Indiana. Do you remember Erie, Indiana? Yeah. Ooh. That was, no. a se- that was a series. It was kind of an X-Files for kids. Yeah, that's it. That was um, kind of like a sci-fi series. Joe Dan- but, yeah. Dante were involved, and there were these two twins yes, who basically had lived for decades because their mother w- made them sleep in giant Tupperware containers. Mm. Oh, so they were fresh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they didn't age. And then, and then when it was found out this was happening and they were slept in all beds, they became these two guys, oh, okay. uh, these two twins. It is very right. spooky. Which are like, kind of like the Hollywood twins, aren't they? They're in everything. Oh, good. Yeah, they're everywhere. Dan, so Don Stanton and Dan Stanton. Right. And they do really look alike. I know most twins but, do. Yeah, they are. Like, yeah. In that yeah. lighting, they're eerily alike. Yeah. Um, you can tell who's who. Yeah. Um, whereas actually, Linda Hamilton and her twin are not as similar looking, but again, they get round it with like makeup yeah. and lighting and mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, they, they're similar. They're similar, but you can quite easily tell them apart. Although Arnold didn't, because apparently he walked up to what he thought was Linda Hamilton and grabbed her ass playfully because they were <laughs> friendly. Turned out to be her sister. But anyway, um, yes, he had to apologise for all that before he became governor. Uh, <laughs> I, I sorry, behaved like an irresponsible jackass with all those women. <laughs> By touching their bits. <laughs> he didn't mention the maid at this point. <laughs> um, so the t- yeah the T1000 is is on site as well and the T800 uh, and John have just arrived shooting the security guard in the leg carefully <laughs> on the way through um, that's what he and, does that makes him do the promise isn't it uh, yes he does he promises just before they get there yes like, on they get to the site and he does that and then they sort of head in sort of thing yeah yeah person they encounter yeah. raise your hand just trust me on this it's like <laughs> delivers all dialogue really badly he's a 13 year old boy but it's just like it's a lot to anchor a film on and um he's not particularly likable 13 year old boy either but there you go um yeah Plus so, also getting, getting a robot that has to obey your every command to raise its hand is kind of pointless it's like well you just do it anyway yeah just do it just do this will you you don't have to like do the swearing bit but there you go this is your order but there you go um and it's quite nice actually when Sarah's like uh, escaping and then mm. the elevator doors open, goes slow motion and she just collapses to the floor and upon seeing him mm. um, and starts trying to back up and ca- her legs won't work and all that. That's all pretty effective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. is about to get less effective, but it's pretty good at this point. Yes. Um, and uh, he, he does say, come with me if you want to live um, after sort of, John effectively runs over and says, Mom, it's not what you think. 
Um, and with that, the T-1000 arrives and sort of melds through the sort of jail door. Yeah, what's now a meme? Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's it a, has it's become a, a meme. It's a meme with cat. a cat. I've seen one with a cat. I've seen one with a little dog as well, like a little chihuahua <laughs> type thing. It just, Silverman like looks around and cigarette drops out of his mouth and a little chihuahua comes through the door. <laughs> um, nice little touch with the gun getting caught as well. But obviously, yeah. So yeah. we're on again. That we're on. We've got everybody assembled. I cannot remember where this would have been in the theatrical cut in terms of a time check. I think the problem is in the, the in the director's cut. We're getting towards an hour, so it's too long. You can see why they've had to make yeah. Trims. This should be a first act thing. It, yeah, this is like this is like uh, yeah, exactly. This should. I don't know where it is in the theatrical cut, but we've already described quite a lot. I mean, the one thing we didn't take a lot of time describing is there's quite a lot more of Miles Bennett Dyson in the in the theater, yeah. In the, yeah. Uh, in that cut as well. Just seeing him with his family and all that kind of thing. We have seen him go in and um, have we seen him at this point go in and see the arm and the chip from the first Terminator? Yeah, yeah that, that, so that's, it's all been established, but obviously he's not explained it verbally mm. yet to, to Sarah. Um, and there's just a bit of an action sequence to get her out of there, isn't there, more yeah. or less? Uh, yeah. Sort of shooting him through elevator doors and all that sort of thing, and him punching down through the elevator roof and cutting Sarah's um, arm or shoulder and that sort of thing. Uh, but they do get away. They get away in a police car. Yeah, and um, and then that's the last we see of T1000 for about 40-odd minutes. And we're into a really quite weak second act and, of this. And it's kind of teased what what he comes as before, because he sees the guy, the police guy on a bike, and he goes, hey, that's a nice bike. I love that line. Though. I yeah. just love that's quite a cool line. It's even the way... I mean, I don't know if Cameron will have thought about it this much, but say, that's a nice bike. I mean, that it's just... It's yeah. not quite of its time. It's it, it's it, it's almost like he's trying to say something that approximates. And what he sort of ended up doing is sort of getting something from... <laughs> you see? And, um, it's more sort of 50s than it is 90s. Yeah. It's kind of like the T-1000's kind of like, smi- like smiling to seem friendly, but it, it almost looks like he's, he's about to joy. I'm, I'm about to joy to kill, you know? That's kind of yeah, like that. No, no, he's, like... he's about to be held up at the same time. You think, oh. But yeah, they they head off down to. Firstly, Sarah has a go at John for basically breaking her out. Um, it was tactically really stupid. Um, you have got to be smarter than that. I think all of that as dialogue makes sense to me. Mm. Um, the Terminator saying to him, "What's wrong with your eyes?" Because he's crying mm. slightly. Um, Why do you cry? Should he, know, he should know what tears are. Yeah, what's what's he's, he's given? He has tear ducts, <laughs> and he would have been programmed with a full knowledge of human anatomy. Yeah, well, apart Makes from that, clearly, because he, like, he oh. says, "I have detailed files." Yeah, a but if you're watching this film, I won't know what that is that's happening to your eyes. <laughs> but again, it's try. It's meant to rhyme with something later in the film, but it's yeah, it's shit. I know. It's rubbish. So, um, there's a bit of exposition now. He explains that the band was, he explains the timeline to 1997 when basically all this software will, will come online. Beast become, uh, he says that um, 
they will take humans out of the decision-making process in in defense Mm. because it's quicker and all the rest of it and they will put this thing online it starts learning at what he describes as a geometric rate yes and becomes self-aware at and he says a time i can't remember 14 a.m eastern time august early hours of the morning i knew it was the early hours of the morning in panic they try and shut it down and it fires on russia to in order to get russia to retaliate to kill the the thing trying to shut it down and that's what happens basically and he's asked about it and he says the man most directly responsible is uh miles bennett dyson who designed this learning computer um and so that is obviously what's going to be coming later but not straight away they head to this bit in mexico i fucking hate and i don't know why i hate it so much i don't know i think some of it is sarah being one-dimensional i think part of it is it's killing momentum yeah yeah i think that's it and and it's making these kind of ham-fisted observations like that it's are we going to make it as a species it's a moralizing film and i don't like it's in your nature to destroy yourself with the two kids with the guns yeah it's it's quite a big worldview, isn't it it's a bit on the nose as well i mean kids waving guns around and um at the same time i mean there's some funny bits like calling uncle bob and stuff like that yeah Uh, but also with the weapons again they find the weapons and it's all like he grins and i always hated that because i thought yes you've cut that shot for a trailer you've not cut it for a cohesive film of course they had cut it for a cohesive film but we didn't know that till we watched the director's cut yeah where in the director's cut they're they're saying about you've got to listen to how people talk and all the rest of it but during i think it's during that very same conversation it's like I, I can learn. I my, I land. I think he says he lasts 120 years or something like that, and he can learn. But there's there's an inhibitor in his in his neural net or whatever they call it in this film that they need to take out. In the director's cut, there's a quite a clever effect where they have, I think, an animatronic sat opposite Arnie and Linda yeah. Hamilton's sister stood opposite her, mimicking a mirror while they cut into the animatronic's head and take out this chip, and therefore, at this point, you can learn. But in the director's cut, where you see this, Linda Hamilton immediately goes to destroy the chip. And it's like, that makes no fucking sense at all. He's just saved your life when he could have killed you. And it's like, well, we've got to end this here. And it's like, but there's another Terminator out there that you cannot do anything about without this guy. So... You're not ending anything. Mm. Miles Bennett Dyson is still doing what he's doing, although I'm presuming you're going to go and kill him now, which obviously she does to go to try, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me either. And it's just Sarah becomes an asshole in this part of the film. Suddenly she's in a hotter climate, so they've got her in this fucking camo bloody wife beater with the glasses on. And it's just like, what a cliche this woman is, and her brain Ooh. drops into her fucking ass. It's ridiculous. She's immediately going to destroy the only thing that can protect her. When he's under John's orders, John can order this thing to fucking kill itself if he wants at the end. Mm. Um, it she's she's make probably any sense seen it as like, I just don't trust them. I just don't trust machines. It's better to get rid of it. I mean, like, before that, she is, like, um, just making, like, sort of snarky comments that sort of like, oh, do these things yeah. see like... Like about the bullet wounds, because like you know, because like you know, good to us if you don't pass as you. Do you know what I mean? She's very much very like. She's very clinical. Yeah, she's stage. very dismissive of it. Um, so I was like, 
fucking robots. But it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now I'm sure I could have a ten minute conversation with James Cameron where he would convince me this makes some kind of sense. If it's trusting to have these things around full stop because of where it leads, then all right, I get the point. But if it's if it's trusted, you need you need this creature right now. You need this thing. Mm. Um, so it never made any sense, and we won't spend much longer on it because it's in a version of the film some people won't have seen. But that's what allows all this smiling and learning and saying stupid lines that follows. Yeah, I and mean, it leaves us with no perfect cut of the film because he grins several fucking yeah. times. I mean, I mean, again, I am going off a TV cut here, but like you know, I I, I do remember it. It does cut. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am. Because it is. I, but I'm, even I'm at the off... end, I know now yeah. why you cry. Well. That's a learning thing. So you need the director's cut thing. You cut, unless you take it as read. This thing can learn. In which case, why did you even fucking film yeah. that? Because I'm so f- it doesn't I'm make any sense. Because I'm sure in the original cut that he, he does establish that he's a learning computer. So the more the more I experience, the more the more I learn. And he's and then they just cut away. They don't have the whole scene with Sarah Connor with the chip and that. Yeah. Maybe so. it is cohesive. All I remember is, with knowledge of the director's cut, when I go to the theatrical, I can see the bits that are missing, mm. and it seems to have a knock-on effect. What I haven't done is really watched the theatrical cut for years without thinking of the director's cut at all, mm. and seen if these things actually do pay off stuff that you can at least infer from what is there. So I don't know, but I was never very comfortable with the silly lines and the grins. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure before that, Arnie's doing learning stuff like sort of mildly kind of like charismatic kind of things. Yeah, there's slight little things like you know, I mean, would the Terminator make like a quip about like he'll live, like kind of thing? I don't know. And I would think they're infiltration machines. I would, I would just think if you could watch someone smile, you could copy it. Mm. Your eyes might be a bit dull. It might not be the most convincing thing in the world, but you can turn the fucking corners of your mouth up. I would have thought it's not that hard. Yeah. So um, I, I never, I struggled with all this, and I'm struggling with this section of the film because it's the moralising section of the film about it's in your nature to destroy yourself and all this bollocks, and trying to find some kind of like kernel of hope for humanity. And I'm mm. thinking, well, if you want to find a kernel of hope for humanity or a, a, a moralistic approach to this sort of filmmaking, Avatar's the right place to be doing it, not here. Um, that's where that that's where you want to do all your heavy-handed messages about the way we live, not not in a Terminator film. And, of course, um, Sarah then reflects on the T-800 being a father figure. Yeah. In, in, like, a voiceover, and she'll never leave it. And I'm thinking, again, there's another cut of this film where you nearly destroyed it moments ago, but there you go. Um it's quite nicely shot, and and Linda Hamilton's got quite a nice voice. She's mm. quite good for like voiceover and all that, so it's okay. But what did you make of this act of the film, Sarah? Uh, Sarah, because uh, Sarah, Sarah. Becca. <laughs> Who's that? I've, I've, I've yeah, no, she does become a bit of an else. Um, but yeah, I just, I just kind of found. Also, when I saw it, um at, at the cinema, um, the bit with Miles Dyson, who should have invented the Hoover. Um, <laughs> I just kind of felt. I just I was like I don't remember this section of the film dragging so badly um but no i sort of agree with it it's just she does become a bit of a mass you know just to agree with you guys and it's just this complete sort of flip and i was it, it really kind of took me out of the film actually i was like oh okay yeah um and of course she then has this nightmare which is again 
no perfect cut of the film, but this is the right place to have the flash forward. This is the right place, not following Kyle out the door. But again, you give yourself choices. I understand that. Um, and she um, falls asleep and sees the nuclear bomb, effectively. And then she wakes up. Notice, notice she's carved words perfectly into the table that say no fate, because she clearly needed a reminder. <laughs> and then disappears and um, she goes off to assassinate Dyson basically because she Mm. thinks this will just stop everything and John divines all of this from reading No Fate on the table yeah which is a complete retcon where he lies about well it was not said at all in the original film it's all thank you for your service you have to be strong he does say the future is not set yeah, but he doesn't add the no fate for but what he doesn't we make. do the no fate for what we make. It's probably it's because there. it would have taken ages for her to carve into the table the future is not set. That's what it is. <laughs> Doing that in your sleep's a tough ask. LOL. Just doing text speak and a big a big um grumpy face. Yeah. Um, I I think one thing with all the, the stuff like the CGI in this film. Um, I think the uh, the nuclear fire dream sequence is really well done um, from an effects point of view, and, and the way the way everything just like just tears, it doesn't explode, it just kind of tears from the force of the wave. There's of a the blast, blast wave. But it's like a shock wave. Yeah, and I think that's that's really really well done. Um, the fact that this is all done with models as well. Um, right. so yeah, so I think that's it's, it's a really nice touch. Although I was surprised that I didn't see a dog immolated while it was pissing against the lamppost, and then I realised that was Batman and Robin, and it froze. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, from the words, no fate, they were like, right, he's off to kill, she's off to kill, Miles Bennett Dyson, let's go there. Which is just exceptional. That's up there with Robin at the start of fucking the Batman 66 film, (laughs) where he got Catwoman from it happening at sea. Um, yeah, brilliant. So yeah, they and she's she's there basically shooting. I just don't, I don't know where I am with this as a character. She's she's not mad because obviously she was in there for she's she's criminal, but she's not mad. I'm not convinced she would shoot this guy. Are you? Well, she she does go to, but then she she kind of, you know, can't do it because of the yeah. kid. Or there's yeah the, there there is a sense there is a like a tremble there where she's kind of like pent up but kind of like resisting mm. it somewhat. Mm. By the time she's there, she's almost like kind of trying to psych herself up to do it. And they, yeah, they, she does. Mind you, she she goes to do it again. She gets in. She does start firing, and it's only he he um she does fire. He, he's only not killed because uh, the kid drives the remote control into his leg and he bends yeah. down. Yeah, and then she gets into the house and tries to get the kid to get out of the way. He's, she's gonna do this. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that, that she changes her mission, as it were, from preparing John and needing to prepare him to stopping it altogether. Yeah, and it's like you've had years to think about that supposed no fate message in the timeline of this film. Yeah, and it's only like one bad dream in Mexico, and you've decided that's what you're going to do. Whether it's because you've only just been given the name Miles Bennett Dyson, I don't know, but. You must have always known someone was responsible. But anyway, 
And in fact, you did try to blow up Cyberdyne, to be fair. Yeah. But, um... It's, okay. it's probably a heightened sort of, like, shit we'll put in. They're, like, sort of advanced Terminator. Um, and, the, yeah, I've got to protect my son. On... I do think it's modelled, though. I do think mm. this section of the film is modelled on who and what Sarah is. It's filled with a lot of exposition. It's filled with a shit ton of moralising. It's filled with too much of Ed, uh, John fucking Connor's mouth moving. Um, <laughs> and I just think this is this part of the film is a bit of a betrayal of the first one. I mean, obviously, uh, the T-800 and John turn up and basically stop her and all the rest of it. And then Arnie rips the skin off one of his arms to show what he is and then sits and explains the story to Dyson. Uh, just, we just see a visual representation of that while Sarah just sits there smoking again and uh, voicing over it, sitting there like a badass. Yeah, and then can you men as a think? <laughs> yeah, she has, she has a bit of a sexist rant, doesn't she? Or kind of yeah. like. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the bit when Arnie rips his skin off her. That's quite good. That's a good effect. In fact, yeah. if you go and look a GIF up a bit, the GIF is actually almost recreated. There's like a floating arm in front of it. it it's not that. In the actual film, it, it looks connected to him. It's good. Yeah, and there's there's a shot of, of Dyson and his wife through the. Uh, through through the, the 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 feel of it, if you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. which is really, that is really painful. Oh my gosh! And also, that has a, that scene has a nicer touch for John when he kind of goes to the kid. Hey, do you want to show me my room? <laughs> before like, let's let's sleep. I'm just going to take you away before you see something that's horrific. Yeah, <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not sure how bad it's going to look either. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. But then it's but then it's the bit where he says, "Now listen to me very carefully." Yeah. I shall say this only once. <laughs> 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 you can't hear that without thinking that, can you? No, no, sure no, that's why. Sure. Uh, Renee. Um, who is it? Is it? I'm sure. Um, hello, hello. I just says it's only words with that religious French accent. That I can't do. It's an eight. It's an eighties, largely, although it ran into the early nineties. It's an eighties uh, BBC sitcom uh, set uh, with the French Resistance in a cafe during uh, World War Two. Uh, but everyone's it's really carry on sort of characterization. Everyone does fake uh, French accents. And everyone does fake French fake French accents except the British policeman who is doing trying to speak <laughs> that's meant to be French. So when he's speaking French, it's English, but with all the words kind it of It comes out wrong. So instead of good morning, he famously it's, goes good morning. It's, it's funny once, but every episode's the same. Right? <laughs> He pronounces words wrongly, and it's hilarious. There's nice Nazis. There's nice Nazis. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, you got the, ca- the you got a nice camp one. And the rotund, balding odor of the cafe is an absolute sex magnet to everyone. <laughs> everyone loves him. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah he's like he's having affairs with like everyone except like his wife. Except <laughs> his wife. And I just. <laughs> And, and, and to think that's the main character, that's the guy who we're like kind of following and we're supposed to go, oh, yeah, this is funny. <laughs> like, no. You're fucking everybody. <laughs> the fact that it's just a whore, Rene, and a cuddle, we know what that's representing. So anyway, hello, hello, folks. <laughs> you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, do you think that would come up tonight? No, that's quite <laughs> that's as random as they get. Uh, so they agree that they need to actually get into Cyberdyne and destroy what's there. Or, or the research, uh, the arm, the chip, everything. He explains he didn't know what it was. It was smashed, it didn't work, but it sped us forward. 
Um, so now they've got to go and basically break in, haven't they, to Cyberdyne? Yeah. And this seems to go on forever. This scene is really long. Yeah. Is it just me? No, well, because because we still haven't you know been back with the T one thousand yet. Who is the threat of the is. film? This is busy work. Yeah. yeah. T- t- bear in mind, T one thousand is probably one of the key and most you know great assets of of the film. You know, it's like really whenever he's on screen, I mean, it's very he's very impactful because he's he's a general scary threat. It's like oh my god, like he can mm. come up from the from the floor and take your form and can do whatever. He can get any you know. He's he's generally scary, and he's absent for like a large chunk of the film. And he, well, he, had, like, only, he only comes back here because there's police alerts. Yeah, and he's got like obviously access to all that stuff because he's undercover as a cop. Yeah, not an undercover cop though. A, an overcover cop. Yes. <laughs> or as we like to call them, a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I've overthought that, haven't I? Just a little yeah. bit. Fair enough. Um, this goes on forever. And again, it's lots of like John being smart as fucking mm. breaking in himself and all that kind of shit. But I don't know what I want to say about this. We've got the I'll be back line. Which is very, it, it feels very much like on its last legs at this point when Arnie says it, he's very much like, yeah, I'll be back. And I think, yeah. uh, I think that, I think the next and, time and he immediately says it. Get, and immediately an animatronic version of him gets shot repeatedly in the yeah. face. That ha- that is an effect that hasn't stood up, but it's not terrible. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's one of the few that you're kind of watching. I think, oh, a bit faked, but generally, it, it looks good. And it, it's very quick cuts as well, so it's all right. Um, so the T1000 is there now. Oh, um, the police break in. They, there's a load of shooting. Dyson gets shot, and he's holding basically the trigger to detonate because mm. they've just wired the building to blow up. Um, you can tell he's about to get <coughs> shot because everything goes slow motion. Yeah, he acted pretty well actually. He's pretty yeah. slow down. Um, this actor is uh, has been in loads of stuff. What's he called? Oh, uh, uh, Joe. Um, uh, Joe, Morton. Joe, Joe Morton. Joe Morton. Was it was yeah. really bizarre in the Godzilla film this year. He turned up in one scene, very very briefly, barely said anything, and disappeared again. And it was meant to be a reference back to the last film, but no one can fucking remember the Gareth. No, so he does pop up in these kind of almost cameo sort of roles. Like he's instantly well, recognisable. He's was, in, it, you know, a character, Morton, but he's, he's a, on the screen for five seconds. He's a big enough actor that it's like he's got to be there for a reason, and there wasn't one. But anyway, he was also um, Cyborg's father in. Batman v Superman and Justice League and that shit. Yeah, uh, police um, chief in, well. in Speed, yes, police chief in Speed. Yeah. This is the first thing I think of him in, though. This yeah, is yeah. I associate him with most. And actually, I can't remember him in Speed. I saw it. I've seen Speed more than once, but I've seen it for so long, I've forgotten it to be honest. So I don't know. I'm looking through to see if there's anything else I really remember him from, and it's lots of little things. I've, you know, it's like yeah, I might have seen a bit of that. I'm not sure. He was in Paycheck. That was a great so, film, Paycheck. Off, off Mice and Men, isn't it? Yeah, he is, that's true. One. Oh, I mentioned yeah. the Stone Cold really Classic, can you bring that up? <laughs> I, I, well, I only really noticed it. it for GCSE English, though. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Yeah, me too. Yeah, okay, I've never read it. I, I, we didn't cover it's, it. I mean, I, I went through to A-level with English, but we never covered it. It's good. It's good. He was, an, he was an American gangster. Oh, see, that's a good film. I liked American Gangster. It's a little bit too long, but I liked it. Mm. In Who's the Boss? Oh, really? I've seen that. Yeah. I don't know why I'm excited by that. 
particularly as I can't even be bothered to watch Cheers to see if Ted Danson fell off a chair. And like, <laughs> I, actually, I actually quite like that. I started that to see The Good Place. Does he fall off a chair in that? I don't know. Oh. He's, he was actually in X-Files? Yeah. He was, that's true, actually. Yes. In the episode just, Red Room? Having a quick... We're also we're also on to trying to work out if Boris Becker ever fell off a chair. To be fair, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, hey Boris, let us know. Our format's maturing. Anyway, um, so yeah, they do get out. Dyson dies. The whole thing blows up, and now the T one thousand is right after them. Uh, it starts off in a helicopter, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the that's the TV spot that drew me to the cinema in the first place. Yeah, that's the bit where he well he kind of gets on he kind of goes in on his bike and then sort of flies out and then goes through head first and he emits the uh, the Arnie line in the Oh where he freezes get out. Yeah. Yeah. Um we the director's cut has some stuff I would have just liked to have seen a bit of once they get to that foundry. Because he starts glitching. Yeah. After he sort of reforms. Because they say he's a prototype. He's not meant to be perfect. And he starts glitching after having been shattered. Um, so you get him putting his hand on like a rail and his his, his arm will slightly elongate and take the colour of the rail. Yeah. yeah. And like his feet are getting caught and things like that. And later when he mimics Sarah, his feet are like turning almost into the grill he stood on. Um, all of yeah. that is excised from the theatrical cut. I'm not sure about... I mean, the action's all right, and Arnie's obviously starting to take a hammering now. I, I, like, the, I like the actual effect of his damage makeup in the first film better, but it's okay. But there are things that don't make sense. Like, she, he gets Sarah at one point, stabs her through the shoulder, and says, call to John. And I'm thinking, turn into her and call to John yourself. What's yeah. the fucking problem? So some of it isn't that well thought through. And then but... he eventually does... Yeah, the action's all right here. I don't know that I've got an awful lot to say about it, to be honest. We yeah, we, did, we skipped over the fact that basically he kills the terror. Uh, well, he he crashed um he he crashed it with a load of like liquid nitrogen or whatever it was and froze and that was he was shot and that's the Hasta oh, La Vista yeah. line. That's the Hasta La Vista line. Because it is basically just by this point we get to a big chase like the first one. It was all just like one big chase when he. Yeah, it's get, it's get very similar. I've got place. I haven't got an awful lot to say about it. I do, I do remember them sort of you know the the, the helicopter and then the tanker truck and yeah. all the rest of it. And it was the tanker that is um, liquid nitrogen, mm. um, and they're driving some real knackered old thing as well that he's catching up with them quite easily. So it's pretty cool. It's fairly intense, yeah. and he's very good at putting sort of mis- mismatched vehicles together so that you know the one being chased is in real visceral danger and things like that. Um, at one point, the T-1000 appears to have killed the T-800. He stabbed him right through his fuel cells and all the rest of it. But he's got battery backup. <laughs> he somehow <laughs> finds it. Oh, yeah. And he finds it, even though he switched off. Yeah. Um, yeah. John is called to yeah, the, the two Sarahs, one of whom is obviously Linda Hamilton's twin sister. And then we've whipped through act three which isn't bad to be honest but it is just yeah effectively arnie appears out of nowhere and shoots him and he falls into like molten terrible slow motion yeah yeah that's a slightly ropey effect actually we got anything else we want to say about this act of the film i mean it's pretty propulsive it's decent other than the fact that you know what if you know he could have easily not fallen off he could have fallen in the other way 
Yeah, or could not fall off at all because he wasn't that far away from the edge anyway. Have these people never seen the end credits of like Wurzel Gummidge? <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't know. <laughs> when, like... when that comes out, when the new series of that comes out, we're, we're going to have to do a commentary on it or something. It's on TV though, isn't it? Well, I know, but still, we'll, we'll have to take a break from and, and from movies and... and it's and it's Mackenzie Crook. <laughs> but if you want me to commentate on the episode, I well, no, saw... we'll have to do like a mini review or something, won't we? So well, TV, uh, you know, when I was, a kid, up when I was a kid, uh, they were filming in Brixham, which is East Devon. Because oh. they did like a oh, summer holiday special. there as well. There was a summer Come special. Yeah. How about <laughs> so, that? So garbage. And he was there, and I was about two. Wow. So I was there when they were filming it. So yeah, we could commentate on that if you want. But the point is, at the end, he would get on like his cross or whatever they call it, and you didn't know which way he was going to fall. And it was always the surprise at the end, which way was he going to fall? Left or right? Terminator could have fallen the other way. Could have fallen up, could have fallen down. Yeah. Do we have to to explain Wurzel Gummidge in the same depth as we explained L.O. Alona? (laughs) Wurzel Gummidge scared the shit out of me. Wurzel Gummidge was 70s and early 80s. I had the album when I was three. Wow. He 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 did he did the hit single, A Cup of Tea and a Slice of Cake, right? Yeah, he was basically a scarecrow that was like sentient and came to life when no one was around, a bit Toy Story style. And he was in love with Aunt Sally, who was played by uh, Una Stubbs, who mm. is in uh, BBC Sherlock. I'm thinking of our audience listening to this. She's yep. the housekeeper. And uh, he's played by John Pertwee, who was not only it was the third doctor. Uh, and he was also the father of Sean Pertwee, who you'll have all seen in loads of stuff in minor roles. And um, yeah, but he he used to, at the end he, at the end he used to walk down the field in ten acre field I think it was called and get get on the thing and then you didn't know which way he was going to fall. <laughs> which is something I think James Cameron should have researched before he. No, I remember like um, Oliver Harvester used to have like a sort of a anim- well, animatronics dog dummy, and that used to terrify me. So I screened the place down and got my parents to switch it off. And that's my abiding memory of was a gummage. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit concerned though that if I uh, write to James Cameron now and take him to task over this, firstly, the film's 28 years old, and secondly, you'll be who the fuck's was all gummage? You'll be like who the bloody hell? <laughs> was a shite. You want me to research a TV? Oh, it also had there were two kids in it. There were like a boy and a girl, and the girl was uh, Charlotte Coleman, who went on to be Marmalade Atkins on TV, but she was also Hugh Grant's sister in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, she never took, knew that. She died at the age of 33 from a massive asthma attack. Hmm. She she was, um, um, what was the character called? Scarlet or something like that. Um, Hugh Grant's sister of Four Winds, if you have Charlotte Coleman. She was one of the kids in Words of Gummidge. That rings a bell. Yeah, there you go. And she was also in Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. That's where she made her name as well. There you go. That was a detour, wasn't it? There you go. Detour and a half. So, in sum- by to this show. so that, that's the second time uh, in in this podcast we've mentioned words or gummage. Yeah. So <laughs> in summary, had James Cameron watched that, he'd have designed this scene better. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, if he'd watched Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, he'd have probably just stuck a load of lesbianism in it. So it does it does depend what your research is. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, have, I'd, have been fine. I'd have been fine with either. Um, yeah, so he, yeah, he falls into the vat, which is obviously um, they they basically had a chase to the one place that you can melt these things. <laughs> uh, they didn't end up fighting in the back of an Iceland. Wait, it's convenient, it's convenient, isn't it? Really, isn't it? <laughs> like, oh. yeah. yeah, you know, Dixon's or <laughs> W. H. Smith. 
No. It's like it like should have been a line of dialogue saying like, "Oh, well, I I wonder how 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 can we destroy these things?" And look up at a sign saying, "Melting." <laughs> yeah, you do realize I've got to post a cup of tea and a slice of cake to our Facebook page. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right? Um, yeah. So this is where we get all really fucking heavy-handed, don't we? With their final conversations, thoughts. Yeah. Charlie, <laughs> it's, it's the I need a vacation. I hated that line. That, that the, should not be in the theatrical cut. That should, it should not be, be in any cut of any film ever. Actually, even That's, with a learning computer, it's why are you saying that? Yeah, what? Well, yeah, that just completely breaks any suspension of disbelief about a uh, murderous robotic cyborg from the past, from the future. And it's just yeah, and then and then the whole thing of I know now why you cry. Because my learning computer has not worked. Yeah. <laughs> that it is something I can never do. And it's just he goes all whiny as well, the kid, and he's only doing what he's told to yeah. do. And he's meant to be emotional. To and he is thirty. But it's like it'll be okay. It's just like that that's the performance you get from a child. It's it I'm I'm not he might not have grown into the nicest human being, but at this age, it's like, I wouldn't have expected anything better from him, really. And it's all a bit histrionic. And I sense when I look at Linda Hamilton, she doesn't know how to play this scene. It's not that she can't act. It's like, I, I, I don't think she actually really quite is sure how you are meant to play this, where she is at yeah. this point on what's happening. Yeah, so she I mean, plays it, kind of, it rather blank. It kind of works as a kind of kind of begrudging kind of handshake kind of respect kind of thing in that way that but bit, it's like just... the last look they have at each other her and the t800 i quite like uh, it yeah. must be clear from the last couple of weeks i've got quite a lot of regard for little hamilton's talents and i wish she'd been in a lot more generally because yeah. the only other thing i really know her from apart from cameos and things like frasier is she was in a tv series with ron perlman called beauty and the beast yeah, she was in King Kong Lives, I've not which, seen was, which was the sequel to the 1976 remake of King Kong. I've Zong, seen that. I've seen where, that. Um, where they gave King Kong a artificial heart transplant. Okay. That must have been it, one big heart. Yeah, the, 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 opening, the opening sequence is basically them doing this operation and <laughs> with this massive robot, this massive electronic heart lowering it down with a crane into a King Kong's body. She was in, she was in Dante's pink peak with um Oh piss. Oh of course she was which yeah. I've never seen. No I haven't oh. either. I've never seen and the thing is he was I think he was I think that might be a ninety six film, so I think he might already have been bonded by then. He was, yeah, yeah he was just like yeah, it was very much I, at the start of his Bond career. At that point he couldn't quite in my mind shake the stink of being a B movie actor. Yeah. In that, like, Dante's Peak came out, and I just went, that'll be like barely better than director video because it's it's like Lawnmower Man. Um, whereas with a couple more years of Bond, he was able to do Thomas Crown Affair and Taylor of Panama and stuff like that. So I think, which were good films, and I liked him. So I had to get more pigeonholed into Spider-Man. I'm not, I'm not a great fan of his, as we know, but I really, as Bond, but I liked him, uh, I really loved him in The Taylor of Panama. That's, That's such, such a great film. film. And and I like him in Thomas Crown Affair as well. Um, so he's pretty good. But like back in '96, that was a like I'm not that bothered about that one. And I'm not I'm never sure about disaster films either. It depends who makes them. Yeah. 
because yeah. quite often they're terrible. Um, so I've never seen it. But yeah, now you mention it, I remember she was in it, but I think I've always replaced her in my mind with someone like Julianne Moore was in it or something like that. Uh, you're right, it was Linda Hamilton. But um, this whole sequence, what did you guys make of it? Just cheesy. It's just stereotypical sort of, you know, melodramatic sort of like, you know, don't 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 go, Shane. Don't go. You know, that that, that kind of thing. Um yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, funny enough, when I first watched it, it was like it was switched off as soon as T One Thousand died. I was like, right, film over. <laughs> that, so that that was my first film experience. So um, it's only like, yeah. So I haven't really got much more to say really because it's just like the film is just wrapping up, and it's just like, yeah, okay, let's just get the soppy stuff out of the way, get get them to the the you know the thumbs up, even though surely everything's destroyed beyond that. But yeah. Yeah, again, it's, it's all just it is very cheesy, but uh, yeah, the kind of end is just it's probably one of the most like iconic um, and sort of like fight sequences, especially within the series as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of very cheesy, very cheesy, very nineties, um, very sort of like nineties rich special effects as well. So, I I do think you know the whole thumbs up, I need a vacation, all of that is just, <laughs> is just coming back to the point. There's no perfect cut of this film. and it compromises the film and it doesn't know whether it wants to be the tough gritty makeup you know follow up to the first film it definitely doesn't want to be that it wants to be something a bit more mass appeal and and all the rest of it but it doesn't know whether it wants to maintain an air of that or whether it wants to put some of the silly comedy in that we go far worse with in future weeks where it's not james cameron i'm thinking next week particularly yeah but i mean it's it's like the last thing she says, which is, if a Terminator can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. Yeah, even when even on first oh, viewing, God, yeah, I remember. even on first viewing, where I loved the film, it blew me away. But I actually wanted to fucking throw something at the screen at that line. <laughs> I've well, always right. hated that line, even as a teenager, because particularly as a teenager, actually, because as a teenager, you're probably a bit more pretentious because you're just getting into film and stuff. Yeah. And to have such a cringe-makingly really... cheesy line, I was furious. Um, let's let's just do some final thoughts then, because we are where we are. And I don't really want to add a massive amount. I just want to say what's been clear all the way through. I'll say it one last time. There's no perfect cut of the film. There's a lot of um, weight put on the shoulders of a young actor who's <coughs> not a particularly likeable character and doing okay relative to his age, but... The, the character's obnoxious, his voice is obnoxious, his dress is obnoxious, and the lines they give him is obnoxious. Um, the T-1000 is superb and a real natural sort of move on from where we were last time. I think Arnie's terrific in it. I've got uh, an awful lot more respect for him than I, than I ever had around the era these films were released. Lyndall Hamilton's doing great work, but she's doing great work in, a, in what is, I'm going to use the word Charlie hates again, an overrated take on the character. Oh. In that... Um, again, in public consciousness, when I talk about terms like that, I'm talking about what what consensus tends to be. And the consensus is that they beefed the character up and made her stronger in everything else. And actually, I think you stripped a great deal of humanity and nuance out of her. And I don't see this as a natural end point of where the character was last time. So um, I don't enjoy that as much. The film has a terrific act one. It has one of the best prologues, I think, in cinema history, nearly as good as Rocky Three. 
And for a a less um, silly example, although I mean it, actually, I think Rocky three has an incredible first four or five minutes to just set a scene. But um, think Fellowship of the Ring. That sort of six or seven minutes that told you every fucking thing you needed to know. Well, this film did that in about a minute and a half. So I was really, really impressed by that. It looks great. It sounds great. It finishes well. It starts well. It's that middle act. It's the conception of Sarah. It's too much of that boy. It's the moralizing. And it's too much of that boy. (laughs) And it's that middle act. And it's that middle act that's fucking baggy and doesn't know whether it wants to stop and moralize at us, stop and tell us a story or (coughs) what. And really, that's all I've got to say on it. It's it's a step down from last week, but it is about as good as you're ever going to do with a sequel to this stuff, as we've been seeing for years since. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) I pretty much agree with everything you said, Dave. Really, I haven't got much more to add. Uh, of you know, with the fact that it is Arnie at, at its peak, and I think um, obviously the t- stuff with the T one thousand has got very really good concepts and really good sort of special effects and sort of um, in terms of how it, how it's been visualized. But um, yeah, it's just the, the the middle act just kills it for me. Um, and yes, you kind of cr- cr- cringe through the mole asking. The moralising aspect of it, it it, com- it comes across as a bit too, uh, well, Saturday morning cartoon, but you know, very heavy-handed. But there we are. Uh, it's not, it's not the first film, but what is? The first film is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was surprised you didn't spot that. <laughs> uh, it just, I'm, yeah, I don't really care. Um, I mean, good <laughs> <laughs> iPhones. I mean, yeah, I mean, it definitely has strength, but there's just a lot running through it that just doesn't just makes me feel like I just don't care about the whole thing. And it's just kind of it's like remaking the first film as a blockbuster. But the whole the whole kind of genius of the first film that it wasn't a blockbuster, that because it was a kind of low budget kind of uh, almost cyberpunk kind of film. It had that nihilism, like you said, that intensity um, that it had all the way through the film. And you were just on a knife edge all the way through. And because so much of this film drags as well, and there's the kind of comedy sections, and John Connor's just terribly written and terribly acted. And the T-1000s are really good, but even that, he never really gets a chance to, to really do a lot. Um, because the the shine is the focus is always on the term is always on Arnie um, to be Arnie and yeah it, it just kind of I just bought by it and I'm astonished that anyone would think this is anywhere near the first film. It's shinier, it's shinier, and it's a peak Arnold Schwarzenegger, not a better Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the star power coming off the man at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you think Cameron would have made a better film if he'd watched Rene and LOLO cop off with some waitresses? <laughs> he would have made a better film if he watched Russell Gummidge. Well, we've established that. But <laughs> what he could learn from nice Nazis and a really, like, sexy waiter. But anyway, what do you think, Becca? On this, I mean, not LOLO and oh. Rene. I quite enjoyed LOLO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That would be a bizarre show. That would, every podcast true. would be exactly the fucking same. Honestly, one thousand with the three boobies. If the Nazis can learn to uh, love and understand humanity, then maybe we can maybe too. Can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if maybe a womanising French cafe owner can. <laughs> Perhaps Rene was so popular with the ladies because he had like a li- he was made of liquid metal. He could make his knob bigger on demand. <laughs> <laughs> Although, why would you choose that form generally? But anyway, anyway, Becca. I was just trying to look at the actress's name, but I can't remember her name. Which one? Gordon I'll tell you in a minute. Vicky <laughs> Michelle, that was it. Vicky <laughs> Michelle. There was quite a cute one in the earlier. I think I called it something else. There was, but Sue Hodge was a replacement for Francesca something or other. Basically, something who was in the earlier series was really cute. And she was really short as well. She had to stand on a chair to kiss him. Yeah, she was tiny. I can't remember which one that was. Yeah, yeah, Mimi was, but Mimi was a replacement for somebody else. I'm going to like second series or something. I'm on IMDb looking up hello, hello. I did yeah. not expect this tonight. <laughs> anyway, Becca, while I look up, well, I, I used hello, to think it was. Do you um, want to like talk about? I he was married to Peter Davison, but no, it obviously wasn't. Um... The answer to that is no, she doesn't. She'd rather talk about hello, hello. <laughs> anyway, I'm looking at an episode because I was trying to find an episode she was in, and the first episode I've gone to. The episode title is Six Big Boobies. Oh, God. <laughs> right, Becca, thoughts I want to say for later on. In your own time. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, no, it's, just, it's one of those, you know, sequels that's, that's iconic, really. I mean, it's, I, I kind of would agree with the points that you made earlier, David. It's, 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 quite, it's quite saggy, so it's from a saggy bum, saggy third act. Um, and Hamilton... They seem to kind of do a, a complete sort of flip of, of her character. Uh, it just, it, I, I find it quite jarring, unfortunately. Um, interesting point about how it would affect her, you know, her mental health as well. Um, especially for obviously now it's something that's becoming more known and more widely talked about. Um, it's quite a very bold choice, bold choice for this film to make. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I sort of overlooked, um, not Edward Snow. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I haven't thought about Edward Snowden tonight at all. So, well, there you yeah. are. That's the obligatory mention. Um, yeah, I sort of overlooked Edward Furlong. Um, but that's an interesting point also that you made earlier, sorry, about um, Arnie not blinking. So when this new film comes out, I shall be on him like a hawk and say, right, Arnie, do not blink. But then any times you blink, that could always be undone by computer graphics. So we'll see how it goes. Um but I think the first, yeah, the first film is definitely much tighter, um, much more in terms of the, you know, script um, and characters. Well. It's, it's a lot more consistent. Um, graphics, both films, I think, largely hold up. There's probably one or two effects near the end of the film, um, end of this film even, that has dated, have dated unfortunately. But you know, that's that's kind of how it goes. Um, but otherwise, it looks fantastic. The whole look and feel of this film is, is really fantastic. I think I enjoyed it more. Than, well, certainly with you know Charlie as well, and I agree in the music as well. Also, um, and certainly just in the score between um, well, the themes for for Arnie um, and also for Two Thousand as well, um, and both kind of both you know sort of really em- emphasise the character as, as the score is meant to do. Um, the score for Two Thousand is kind of very unrelenting, very kind of 
not monotonous, but there's you know similar sort of sound to it. Um, but he's sort of having the point home that you know, he's just a unstoppable killing machine, obviously, until he's dust at the end <coughs> in the molten steel. Um, but yeah, I kind of I do I have a lot of love for this film still, but I just prefer the first film. Yeah, I think we all agree with that. I mean, there's only one thing that they could have really have changed that would have got it anywhere near the first film. And to be honest. But James Cameron, don't listen to us. Well, you never know. There is hope for us yet. I'm still convinced that we'll have these celebrity listeners, but it's never going to happen. But you never know. Celebrity listeners. We've got Samuel L. Jackson, the Queen. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Riddick, Riddick Bow, the Force Ghost of Ronnie Corbett, Michael Aspel, Queen Latifah. <laughs> I can't remember who else was in that room, but there's a lot of them. So there. Well, did, did you tweet um, the Pope and somebody else? I did, did tweet the Pope. Well, I wanted to know if the Pope uh, and NASA. That was it. The Pope and NASA. A couple of years ago, when we were trying to find out about Ted Danson, I also tweeted uh, Robert Darvey and Gok Wan. Oh. Um, oh. Robert Darvey replied. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, he did. He said there's a conspiracy to keep all these things secret. Ah. So, yeah. Which is amazing, Uh, because he's like, he's almost easy in on the joke, wasn't it? He was in on the joke. Yeah, that's true. That's twice he's replied to us now, so fingers crossed. Yeah. The first one was to say yes to an interview he never did. He literally just said yes. Um, (laughs) He said, let's figure out. Let's figure out. Um, Gokwan didn't reply, but I wasn't really expecting him to. Rude. I'm sorry. All those special tips. The Pope, they're they're busy doing. I won't even say. And um, he's busy pontificating. Pontificating, yeah, he does a lot of that. <laughs> I'm like sure that's not like correct. It's but... almost like he's, you know, pontiff. He's busy being holy. Um, I thought I was hoping NASA would reply though. They must watch Wimbledon. Surely. Some someone there must have been watching Wimbledon when Becker was at his peak. <laughs> and the only picture I could find of him on a seat, he was surrounded by loads of others, and it almost seemed like strength in numbers. But if we're not knowledgeable on that, what are we knowledgeable on, Becca? Well, I've had to hastily cobble together some extra fun facts because right. you stole the first ones. No, you didn't really steal them, obviously. You'd I couldn't already help it. Knowledge just, just bleeds out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, kind of, I went to a few different sites. So, yeah, fun, not fab, but fun. Well, fact one is, fact Facts. one has to be that the, the woman in LOL have just saved, saved the image and she was cute. Yeah. Yeah, she was cuter than the other one. Yeah, but anyway, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cute actress for was sure. Was that the um, was that Mariah? I think so. I'm looking at yeah. IMDb. Yeah, Maria. Or Maria. Yeah, Francesca Maria. Gonshaw's name. Yeah, Mariah. Yeah. She, she, she was like really <laughs> early role for Mariah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what did you know? That's a fun fact. She, 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 really she would have bankrupted the show with her demands. <laughs> I went to eleven dressing rooms and all the walls. Only white. eleven. Anyway. So, fact number one, Becca. Oh, fact number one. Um, I'm not sure how true this is, so it might not be a fact, but it might be fun. <laughs> Until I like the Bourne Ultimatum one. and Mad Max Fury Road. This is the only sequel to win an Oscar, winning four out of the six nominations, where the original received no nominations. But I can't actually remember, unfortunately. I It would be wildly unlikely, where sequels have done well at the Academy Awards. Mm. You know, think Godfather Two or something. The first won some, yeah. Um, and you would expect at least nominations, particularly even in technical things. So well, if it had none, and this got nominations, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, I, 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 I would. Two, I would there's a two-minute was 
so, yeah, such a tiny kind of film in, in comparison. So it wouldn't have been campaigning for Oscars. It wouldn't have had the money. No. Was, was the, the, when did this come out? Like um, Terminator, first Terminator film was it like around like all season? Was, was it eligible? Oh, That's all the, the time of year in which it was released. Well, they're they're all eligible. It just it's just what year are you eligible in? Mm, but yeah. it's just it's just the fact that to win Oscars now. Uh, there is a there is a degree of merit to it in that they're what they try to nominate and all the rest of it. Although we know there are types of films that don't get nominated mm-hmm. that arguably should. Um, but at the same time, there there is an element of you need to campaign for it. Yeah. Um, uh, you need to campaign. You need to be saying we'd like to be considered. And here's here's some sun bingo cards. You know, something, something <laughs> like that. Bingo. Uh, or here's a basket of mini muffins. Right. Um, <laughs> That, that's I, I can't imagine bribery would get any more serious than that. But didn't, didn't we say Orion had Amadeus in the same year though? So they would have been campaigning for that. Yes. Because yes, it did because that won a load of Oscars anyway, didn't it? Mm. Yes, it did. It won seven or eight. So um it would yeah, any film that plays, I think it's I think it's got to play for three weeks or a week. I can't remember what it is, but um, yeah. if, if it plays for if it plays for enough time, it's eligible. And the Terminator would have been eligible. It did decent money. Yeah, we'll we'll say your fact is a fact. Well, I would I we can't prove it right, but it's almost certainly right. I think it'd be quite good to look up some spurious facts, and then you guys can debunk them or prove them right, as per wherever you decide. Well, we just say that's bollocks and move on. <laughs> well, I just I just looked on I just looked on Wikipedia and Terminator had nothing about any award things at all. No, I couldn't see. Yeah, so we'll stamp it as our seal of approval. Whereas if he'd watched their lower low, if he'd watched their lower low, it might have got into like MTV's Best Kiss or something <laughs> well, like that. Are. He just refuses to learn. Yeah, I don't know when MTV started doing their uh... their video music awards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not video music awards, film awards. I think it was in not till the nineties actually. Video music. Yeah, I reckon sort of nineties, two thousands. Yeah, I, I... and there you go. It's um, Terminator Two one. Uh, let me just count one, two, three, four, five. Ah, five. Uh, See, MTV, uh, sorry, six MTV Movie Awards. Uh-huh, how about best that? action sequence, best breakthrough performance, best female performance, Great. most desirable female, best Ooh. male performance, best movie, best song, and best villain. Wow. It, what, best breakthrough performance? Yeah, by Edward Furlong. I know. By Edward Snowden. Can he, and, can he, uh, break, can he re-break back through the other side, please? And just <laughs> want to plaster up the road. okay. He won a Hugo. He tried hard. He won a Hugo. Yeah. That's pretty prestigious. Yeah. Apparently I thought he, to, um... I thought he trying to say he won for Hugo or something. He, was, he didn't play Hugo. That was years later. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, according to IMDb, uh, Charlie Cosimo, uh, the, the child actor in Hook, was uh, offered the role but couldn't accept because he was in uh, What About Bob? So oh, he's already contractually obliged. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere. Okay, there's not much Spielberg I haven't seen, but I've not seen Hook all the way through. <gasps> I can't remember. Like, shit, not- apparently. <laughs> I was going to say everyone's. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not amazing. It's, it's I, fun, I, I have it's a soft spot really for does it. Ham it up. Yeah, he looks less irritating than Edward Furlong, but then that's not difficult. But I, yeah, he's a bit annoying. But... but I actually do really like What About Bob. It's actually great. Quite yeah, funny. it's a good film. Have I seen it? I don't know. Has Dave seen What About Bob? dot com? It's possible. I haven't. You know, it's it's a shame. Um, Jake Lloyd gets so much. And Edward Furlong gets nothing. 
it's, it's not fair, really. Yeah, uh, the trouble is the character's not not likable in conception anyway. But um, I, mean, I watched The Phantom Menace again last week. Jake, Jake Lloyd's about as good as a nine-year-old's ever going to be, really, unless you are... You know, the Haley Joel Osments of this world, there are the odd supernaturally talented one out there, but they're rare. You, you always yeah. kind of get that problem, with, especially with, you know, child actors as well. It's such a lot. It's, you know, quite a sort of a big role at, at a very young age, at quite a sort of tender age as well. I think it's, it's always, it's, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Are we still on fun fact number one. We're still on fun fact one, aren't we? We are. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's fun fact two? Sorry, yeah, fun fact number two, as you mentioned earlier in the film, earlier in the show, um, about how how much Arnie earned per word. Um, I've got varying figures, so these may not be correct. Um, Arnie apparently took a fifty million salary, fifty million dollar, can't speak, fifty million dollar salary for this film. With only seven hundred odd words of dialogue, so twenty one thousand four hundred twenty nine a word, which is roughly fifteen million. So I, I kind of got figures within twenty, sort of twenty five, depending on which website that? you look at. So what's the word number? Uh, 700, but I don't think that's right. Right, No, I think that is right. I heard it's about 60 words in the first film and it's about 10 times that in this. Yeah, yes, yeah, so it's going to be roughly. So it's six to 700, basically. Yeah, so about 21,000 yeah. a word. Yeah. yeah. Many of those being I'll be back and hasta la vista, baby. Uh, anyway. I wonder if you got a cut, a cut of the merchandising. Because they did a whole toy line. They did. Uh, I would be surprised this. if you did. Because they had this, they had this thing where um, it was like this big machine, and what you put in a Terminator like under skeleton in there, and then you pour this kind of slime stuff in, and what it did is it made a skin around the uh, around the Terminator. Ooh. Okay. That sounds like that a great was, kind of. That was quite cool. Cool nineties toy. Yeah. All gooey and yeah. Um. Yeah. Fun fact number three. For their special effects work to bring T1000 to life, the ILM team expanded from six people to 36 people and cost $5.5 million with an extra seven or eight, again, depending where you look, months of work. I think that's really interesting. Good luck, okay. ILM. Um, ILM. ILM's work was terrific. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, yeah, fun fact number four, according to Box Office Mojo, is one of my favourite websites ever. Um... <laughs> I find it useful for box office stuff. Box office mojo. Yeah. Then it's really interesting. I think it's very interesting. Fourteenth um, highest grossing movie of Trice, obviously Sony, um, over two hundred and four million dollars. But if you do a list, of, obviously you're going to get sort of like modern things like that as well. That's domestic um, gross as well. That's really interesting. That's domestic gross. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just obviously not across. Global box office, but yeah, just US domestic gross for sure. Um, but I think it's interesting if you sort of compare like US to UK, Europe, and worldwide as well. That's some very interesting lists. I like lists generally. This is quite a long fact, you'll have to excuse me. So, the opening war scene shot at demolished steel plant in Fontana on the outskirts of San Bernardino, east of LA. Twisted bikes, burned out cars, and blackened cinders are debris from the Universal Studio fire, unfortunately, in 1989 slash 1990. Um, the story goes that a security guard thought, ah, screw this, took out a cigarette and just torched the back lot. Uh, a massive fire which just started deliberately on the back lot destroyed a fifth of the standing sets. Total damage was estimated at up to $50 million. And we started in the Brownstone Street Alley, 
by a security guard with a cigarette lighter. The flames were fueled by gale force winds and took hours to get under control. Described as one of the largest fires in LA history, it took 400 firefighters from 86 companies in the LA and Burbank areas, along with six helicopters to get it under control. And the streets that were damaged included a long list here um, New York Street, as seen in Dick Tracy, <laughs> um, which was utterly destroyed, unfortunately. The Ben Hur set was, was gutted and destroyed. Um, and also the iconic courthouse squares, as seen in Back to the Future. Well, apart from the majority of the courthouse itself, um, this is actually rebuilt. You know, to kind of different varying designs called like Frankenstein set um, and only the actual courthouse itself um, remains as, as original um, obviously there was a, a famous fire sadly a few years ago um, that was kind of completely re- rebuilt from um, from existing photos and, and film footage um, so yeah it's not a very fun fact but there have been quite a lot of fires at, at Universal and that was certainly one of the worst ones unfortunately so that's my five not so fun fire. not so factual facts You've got any favourite fires? Write to us. Famous or infamous? Um, infamous. Down in history as, as being one of the worst, unfortunate, you know, very unfortunate fires um, at Universal. There again, it's, it's one of my like. I, if ever I go on holiday to America, I always go to Universal. So I must go to Universal. It's, it's fantastic and really interesting. We're stunned. That was great. <laughs> I've managed to um, to have a well. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but I've got a, a six degrees of separation Ooh. between Terminator Two and Alo Alo. All right, yeah, <laughs> go on, let's hear it. Where um, K plays the t- I can do it in one. Gordon K plays the T one thousand. No problem. Amazing. Go on. Right, so there was a guy called um, and let me just go back to the, the page. So Right, he's called David Jansen, and um, he played the second airflick. Yeah, there were two oh. of them. That's in Alola. Right. Yes. And he was also in Zed Cars Ooh. in a long time ago. Um, so that was like, um, yeah. Um, and who was in that with Brian Blessed? Uh, Brian Blessed. No. Brian Blessed was in Much Ado About Nothing with Keanu Reeves, who was oh. in Speed with Joe Morton. Joe Morton. Oh. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Round of applause. That's amazing. Oh. How about that? How about that? And also, this was one of the last films by Kuroko. Yeah. Um, oh. Who uh, did all his. But we're basically famous for just spending a ridiculous amount of money yes. on <laughs> stars what? and films. And yeah. they, did they spent this all their and, budget. Yeah, they did Basic Instinct after this, and then they did Cutthroat Island, which killed them, basically. I don't think I ever saw that. I heard it was well, a bit of a turkey. That's the point. No one did. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, the problem with the Cutthroat Island, funnily enough, you're talking about wasting money on stars. I mean, firstly, it was made by Rennie Harlan, who's not the greatest filmmaker in the world anyway, but also Gina Davis can't open a fucking film. I mean, she's just not, she's not the demographic to put in that role. Yeah. She's, apparently not, she's ri- not the right person. Apparently originally it was starring Michael Douglas, but then he dropped out. What, when he realised he looked absolutely nothing like Gina Davis and would, be, <laughs> would have been a rubbish woman. When he realised it wasn't so Gina they, Davis. Um, so they replaced it with Matthew Modine. Oh, right. Well, there's oh. another guy with very little 
actual. I'm not. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that they're not two people. The star open, power is nothing. Yeah. You don't. You don't open a hundred million dollar film with that unless you've got an incredible concept. And a pirate film, in and of itself, at that time, wouldn't have been it. No. So, um, a fairly infamous flop around the same time as um, Waterworld. It was around the same time as Waterworld. Yeah. Flopped really badly as well. Um, but yeah. I guess never get better against James Cameron. I guess though because the number of times people have thought that's not going to work, and it has in his career. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, no one thought Titanic would do that money, and certainly no one thought Avatar would do that money. No. Um, and uh, Avatar still blows my mind as a as a financial exercise now. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It's just been overtaken ten years later. With that is utterly crazy. With significantly higher ticket prices and significantly fewer 3D, uh, uh, fewer no, would have been less 3D actually as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, it's it's just mind blowing. Is so was Titanic. I mean, the, the Phantom Menace on first release did I don't know about 930 million on first release, something like yeah. that. It's more than that now because of re-releases. I think Titanic came in, you know, was a year or two before, fucking doubled it. And that was like all the pent up demand for a Star Wars film before there'd ever been a bad Star Wars film. It's immense. So, um, and it just took years to be beaten. And when it was beaten, it was beaten by Cameron himself. <laughs> he smashed his own uh, record. Yeah. And so when people think, say, the Avatar sequels won't do that well, well, they may not do that well, but they'll do well. Mm. Because it's James Cameron. They do. He just taps into something in people. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens because I, I mean, I don't really like Avatar much. I didn't really think that much of it. Well, nor did I, but I've it's well, grown, I think anybody has, but any it's grown on me over the years. It has, it has, with because I think you have to know what Cameron's flaws are and accept them. And I think with Avatar, all the things that are wrong with it, I go, yeah, well, that's kind of James Cameron. That's kind of what he is. You take the rough with the smooth. Sorry, you were saying you don't like it much, but and I interrupted, didn't you too? But despite that, it's made all this ridiculous amount of money, and uh, yeah, and I, I find I find it interesting that, given how much that that film made and uh, what its uh, potential sequels will as well, mm. it'll be inter- I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction to the sequels are versus that film, especially well, with the push of 3D. That that <clears throat> well, that's the thing. Um, they'll arrive. There'll be a sort of fresh spell of 3d if you like um most people will see it in 3d because that's the way it's just been designed and it will be heavily marketed that way but it'll turn up in a higher frame rate he'll have done something quite innovative with underwater photography and things like that and he'll broaden out the world and there'll there'll be enough hooks in it that people will go Mm. it's not going to be the avatar we saw all those years ago let's cook up a new adventure. He will broaden the world or he'll take it onto like other planets or moons or whatever. And he'll introduce new characters. And let's say, I know he shoot, he's going to shoot it at a higher frame rate. So we'll just see. But then I, I, Gemini Man came out a couple of weeks ago at a higher frame rate and I didn't see it in its higher frame rate. But the problem is for higher frame rates show up all the flaws and the problems. Yeah, um, I've seen The Hobbit. Yeah, I saw I saw that in a higher frame rate, and I, I it the thing is, you realise how much of resolution is uh, little micro blurs of movement and stuff yeah. like that, because in the higher frame rate, I could see Ian McKellen's contact lens. 
yeah. when, he, when he looks through the keyhole yeah, and makeup. I could see his contact lens and stuff like that. It looked like BBC TV. It looked awful, actually. But I saw the second one in higher frame rate and it was better. They'd learnt, they'd learnt, the film wasn't better, but they'd learnt to deal with the format more efficiently. Mm. If anyone's going to nail it, it'll be James Cameron because he'll just get, he'll figure it out because he always does. Um, plus, it's a largely CG world anyway. But that Will Smith in Gemini Man, the, the, the digital double of his, the digital double of his would look terrible in a high frame rate because it looks shit at a normal frame rate. But there you go. Um, social media, you can find me at PersonKid1976 on Twitter. Oh, you can find me at uh, Cinematronics on Twitter, uh, where you can find all the shows at Cinematronics.co.uk. Uh, we're available on everywhere, pretty much, aren't we? Stitcher, well, no, no, no one uses Stitcher. Uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, all the rest of it. You'll find us. We are now everywhere. Charlie, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Wassy on Twitter. Um, no. Uh, you can find Pardon? Me... That's Jonathan Boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all this time, it, it was Charlie. It's actually Jonathan. He, he, oh, my he, gosh. He was following me and then has somehow decided that I'm no longer worth following. So um, oh. I hope he changes his mind. What's his loss? Um, <laughs> yeah, you can find me at Movie Drone on Twitter. Um we're all following you, so that's all right. It's... Be fucking rude if we weren't, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you can find us on Twitter at Expectors Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Do You Expect Us Talk? You can also find us under the same name on YouTube and iTunes. Type in Do You Expect Us Talk? And don't forget to give us a five star review. Uh, nice words, please. Um, helps us to rank a lot higher. Not that we have a rank higher. <clears throat> and attract more listeners. And you can also email us at expectstalk at gmail.com. And thank you to Brent, At- uh, Brent Attica for the five star review you gave us a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, thank you, Brent. That was very kind. Yeah. I might like to just throw something out there, a bit of a curveball as well, um, to the lovely listeners out there. Um, if you would like to, send us an email. Um, your thoughts, views on the Terminator movies. Um, what's your favourite one? What's your worst one? What bits you like? What bits you don't like? Um, let us know and we can read it out on the show. And if you I'm think... trying to get a bit of interaction, but it's not going to happen. Or just tweet us. And do you think Vicky Michelle was fitter than the, the one he was copping <laughs> off with at the start of LOLO? And, <laughs> and, and also, when, like, Wurza Gummidge fell off his fucking post at the end of the show, do you prefer when he fell forwards or backwards? I think occasionally <laughs> he fell sideways as well. Let us know. Tweet us, hashtag right, hashtag left. Yeah. Join us next week when we'll be discussing... We'll create a poll. Gypsy free with Keith Barron. (laughs) (laughs) This is turning into probably more entertaining than Terminator Three. Yeah. This is the oh god the the Nicholas Briggs television review show, um, Nick and Benji show that he does with Benji Clifford, and literally they just kind of they trawl through decades of of cult telly. It's turning it's turning into a bit like that. Do you remember this classic show? No, do you remember this classic show? It's half the time when we do it, we don't do it deliberately. Just suddenly think, hang on, I'm talking about words. Oh, I don't know, it's a classic show yeah. from the 70s but, or something like that. Yeah. Who's Nicholas Briggs? I remember Johnny Briggs. Oh, yeah, I remember Johnny Briggs too. Mm. Um, I think he's he does a lot of work for like, the Big Finish like, audio shows, but he's sort of like writer, producer, director. Um, you might know him as maybe the voice of the Daleks in the recent Doctor Who series. Um, he's done lots of voiceover work, things like that. Okay. 
unofficially put out the Space 1999 um, new audio version um, of, of Breakaway, which I think he wrote. I just that's uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I, I, I... No, but uh, yeah, he's, he's, I think he's better known as, as Voice of the Daleks. <clears throat> oh, okay. So we've we've moaned about this film a little bit, but it's all downhill from here. <laughs> which it means... really, you know what? I think this is kind of that kind of marks my drop off point. I think yeah. I, I saw this this upcoming film, and then I thought, oh, no more. Yeah. And that kind of marks my drop off point with the Terminator series. So anyway, what does that mean, Becca? So that means, unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, yeah, do expect to talk will return with Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Dun dun dun. Yours and mine